For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Friday morning on the Neil Prenderville Show with Mick Mulcahy at 12 minutes past nine. And uh, this time on Monday morning, uh, Neil will be back and normal service will be resumed. But uh, let's carry on with the normal uh, workings of the programme. First of all, our... uh, Newspaper review. Jail for driver, says the Echo's front page, as life risked. A motorist who sped from the scene of a drug deal with a guard hanging onto the side of his car, fearing for her life, has been jailed for three years. Judge Helen Boyle imposed a total sentence of four years with the last suspended on Martin Cuhan at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. The 34-year-old was jailed for counts that included endangerment. The judge said Detective Garda Catherine McCarthy is entitled, as uh, is every member of Angarda Shiakona, to go to work in the morning and come home safe and well from her job. Judge Boyle recalled from the evidence that the pioneering member of Angarda Shiakona, who was the first female member of the West Cork's drugs unit, was pushed off the side of the car and it rolled over her, leading her to experience her worst ever feeling of fear and helplessness as she thought, I'm going to die. More details in the Echo. Staying in the Echo, Port of Cork and talks over asylum seekers. Shelter for international protection applicants may soon be extended to flotels and cruise ships in Cork City. The Port of Cork company confirmed it has engaged in exploratory talks with the International Protection Procurement Service in relation to the provision of facilities to accommodate asylum seekers. A spokesperson stressed that discussions are at a very early stage and no definite location has been identified. Government officials are believed to be assessing the approach of the UK government in Dorset, where a three-storey barge was used to accommodate hundreds of of asylum seekers. That's uh, in the echo. So is this teen fall at Douglas. A teenage girl was rushed to Cork University Hospital yesterday afternoon after she suffered injuries in a fall from Douglas Village Shopping Centre. Staying with the echo, taxi driver hit on the head with a bottle and hammer. Liam Halen reporting that taxi drivers must feel safe in their work and sentences for assaults on drivers need to have a deterrent effect, a circuit court judge declared. Judge Catherine Staines made this comment during sentencing in respect of a case where a taxi driver was robbed by two passengers in Cork who struck him in the head, one with a glass rum bottle, while the other hit him in the head with a hammer. Uh, there has to be a strong deterrent against assaults on taxi drivers, the judge stated. We all depend on them and uh, they must feel safe when they pick up passengers. Uh, ancient Walled Garden angers uh, Black Rock residents uh, is the uh, one of the stories on the front page of uh, today's examiner, Elio Byrne, reporting that residents in a Cork suburb uh, have been angered by a bus council's proposal to turn an 18th century walled garden, which they hope to use as a community garden, into a car park. The two-acre Beaumont walled garden, Black Rock, which contains Cherrington Reservoir, once supplied food to the Beamish Brewing family at Beaumont House before the house's destruction in the 1920s. Examiner front page. Staying with the examiner. Fire forces evacuation at Cork Striker Plant. We'll speak about this uh, very shortly on the Neil Prendival Show. One of Striker's Cork plants was evacuated again yesterday. Uh, yesterday morning following a small fire. Uh, the fire broke out at the uh, medical technology company Springhill facility uh, at the uh, around 7.30am and the building was subsequently evacuated as a precaution. The internal sprinkler system brought the fire under control and workers re-entered the plant at around 9am. 
there were no injuries reported. Uh, back to the Echo, union rights to Coveney after incident at Stryker. More on the same story. Uh, to has written to Enterprise Trade and Employment Minister Simon Coveney um, to request a face-to-face meeting uh, to discuss health and safety concerns at Stryker facilities in Carrick Tool following what it described as an alarming pattern of incidents at the East Cork plants. The Independence front page has over 30,000 Ukrainians may be granted residency here. Hugh O'Connell, the deputy political editor, reporting that more than 30,000 Ukrainians could be granted permanent residency in Ireland if they are uh, in secure jobs uh, or education, while tens of thousands more could be paid welfare in order to return home under plans being explored by the government. Not sure what that means, but ministers have been warned, however, that granting residency to some Ukrainians who are employed in Ireland may result in them being joined by family members, potentially putting further strain on the state system for accommodating refugees. Draft proposals for the future of the estimated 75,000 Ukrainians in Ireland were discussed at a Cabinet Committee meeting earlier this month. Independent front page if you want more on that one. Uh, let's go to uh, some of the red tops. The Mirror front page has Hutch and Go. Monk flees Ireland. Jerry is off to Spain after the Regency trial. Jerry the Monk Hutch has fled Ireland uh, just over four weeks after being acquitted in the Regency murder trial. The Sun's front page has a nation punch again. Uh, big boxing bouts are back with a bang in Ireland, Katie Taylor believes. She reckons her homecoming bout at Dublin's Three Arena with Chantel Cameron tomorrow will usher in a new era. Tickets very expensive, though, uh, for these sort of events. But there you go. Boy 17 beaten with golf clubs by gang. A teenager is lucky to be alive after he was beaten by a gang armed with golf clubs. A 17-year-old lad was targeted by the vicious mob on the Bluebell area of Dublin on Thursday night. And uh, on to the star. Huge number of sex attacks on nights out. Uh, One in three assaults happening in a pub, club or disco. Nearly one in three sexual assaults happen in a pub, club or disco, a study shows. For sexual violence as an adult with a non-partner, the most prevalent location was pub, club or disco. For women, uh, 25% and men, 30%. CSO figures revealed overall uh, almost 3 in 10 or 29% of women experience sexual violence as an adult with a non-partner a rate that is over three times the 9% level for men. Cancer patients' two-year wait for routine tests. The Irish Daily Mirror reporting that there's concern at the average time, as there's almost 3,000 on the genetic list. The Irish Cancer Society says it's concerned people are waiting for up to two years for routine cancer genetic testing. €186 million. The cost of the Queen's funeral... 85 million of that was on security, uh, the Treasury reveals in the UK. Queen Elizabeth's state funeral and lying in state cost almost 186 million euro. The Treasury revealed the sum was spent during the 10-day period of national mourning following the Queen's death at Balmoral last September 8th before the state funeral on September 19th. It includes 85 million spent, uh, and that was converted to euro, I know we're talking about uh, a British situation, but there you go. It includes 85 million euro spent by the British Home Office and Security and Police, the UK's Department for Culture, Media and Sport, which led for the government uh, on the line, which led for the government on the lying in state, spent 66 million. It was about 100 or 150 million more uh, to get Charlie coronated. It's an expensive thing, the monarchy. Uh, first US state 
bans TikTok over spying fears. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail is reporting today Montana has become the first US state to ban TikTok after politicians vowed to protect locals from Chinese surveillance. Well done, John Dutton. Uh, the social media giant has pledged to fight the ban, the first of its type in the Western world, and described the move as an attack of freedom and uh, freedom of speech. It comes amid intense scrutiny from lawmakers across the world over the platform's relationship with its parent company, ByteDance, which is based in Beijing. Uh, Ryan Toberty's mum's had an accident. Looks like she's going to miss the final Late Late Show. Ryan Toberty's revealed... His mum will not attend the uh, final episode of The Late Late Show next week as she is in hospital. That's in the uh, Irish Daily Mirror. A few more. The star has uh, two-thirds of older teens are on the web too much. Tell us something we don't know. Uh, around two-thirds of all older teenagers in Ireland show at least one symptom of excessive internet use, according to the findings of new research. And 30s claim wipeouts, says The Sun. Three in ten people in their 30s quit work, moaning it's too hard, and there's not enough time to relax. The average burnt-out millennial, millennial hands in their notice aged 34 over stress. Almost half are glued to their phones first thing in the morning, and one in four eat lunch in front of screens, a survey by uh, Extra Chewing Gum has found. Uh, that's, that's a strange combination, Extra Chewing Gum finding this stuff out. Uh, well-being expert Henry Nelson Case said, living life at such a fast pace is not Sustainable. Got a couple more. The Mail has music retail giant HMV to return to the capital. HMV, doesn't that stand for his master's voice, the uh, gramophone and the dog? Uh, open its first shop, uh, will open its first shop in Ireland for almost a decade when it returns to Henry Street in Dublin this summer. Vinyl's coming back in a big way as well, isn't it? And one final one. Oops, Facebook glitch sends friends requests to users you've been stalking. You've probably done it too. Perhaps you wanted to find out more about a new colleague, your son's new girlfriend, uh, that chap you dated donkeys years ago, and logged on to Facebook to do a little <clears throat> light detective work. Well, your blood will run cold, run cold to learn that an embarrassing glitch in the social media giant's app exposed so-called stalkers to the people whose profiles they had been perusing. The bug sent automatic friend requests to any accounts the snoopers had viewed leaving users scrambling to cancel the request to cover their tracks. Some people have been left so mortified that they've deactivated their accounts. The problem went viral after one humiliated user posted, This is a cool new Facebook fact. If you check someone's Facebook that you're not friends with, it automatically sends a friend's request for you. Those are the morning papers. You're listening to Cork's number one talk show. I just think he's a brilliant interviewer. The Neil Prenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Straight to our phone lines, Pat Buckley, good morning. Good morning, Mick, how are you? Good, no, you're a Sinn Féin TD for Cork East uh, and you have something for us on the latest striker fire. Is this the third fire? This would be, I suppose, down as one of the third major incident. Okay. If you could put it that way, there has been many other things. Okay, lest uh, we be accused of being sensationalist, it was a small fire, yeah. it was quickly contained. It was a fire nonetheless. Yes, absolutely. And look, if you know back at the history, and uh, look, in my job you listen to two sides of the story and somewhere in the middle is the truth. Okay. But I had been dealing with, with uh, protected disclosures since back maybe 2020. Uh, I did the procedural way, you have to go everywhere with it before... Um, it's actually looked at. I was involved in protected disclosure law to change that because now the whistleblower is supposed to be ring-fenced and protected even more and the burden of proof is reversed. That it's not on the whistleblower to prove what's happening. It's those who are accused. 
prove that it's not happening. Now, I did raise this, uh, uh, I think it was about two weeks ago again, with Minister Neil Richmond in the Dáil, and I actually gave him a copy of that protected disclosure, and I had a brief meeting with him afterwards, and I actually, I, I, uh, I don't know what way I felt when I heard about that other incident um, this week, but I emailed the Minister again, asked for an update, Unfortunately, I haven't got a response back there. I also contacted the HSA to find out uh, have all the issues that were in the protected disclosure being resolved and you get the usual um, standard response that they can't um, comment on an individual okay. case. Let, let's take an umbrella view of all this. So third fire in recent succession. We had uh, one fire, uh, was it at the Angro facility and, uh, and, and another elsewhere? Uh, the unions are looking for a meeting with Simon Coveney, the relevant minister, uh, while claiming that uh, they're not getting much engagement with striker management. Seems to be a bit of a mess. It, it, it is, and you've hit the nail on the head there, Mike. Uh, you're, you're spot on because, I mean, I, along with the other two Cork, uh, Cork TDs, Sinn Féin TDs, uh, Lera and Tommy Gould, uh, we've asked for a meeting with the uh, union as well, but I suppose they're waiting to meet with the Simon Coveney and Strico Management first because, I mean, there's very little to discuss when there's no discussion going on at the moment, and it's very frustrating. And, I mean, as I said, I've got this beating of the stick on both sides. I've got the nasty stuff for raising it. I should have kept my mouth shut. But as a TD, and it's a protected disclosure, I'm duty-bound to report it. It's in the interest of health and safety, uh, titanium fires are one of the most serious fires. I spoke to the county fire service on this on numerous occasions. Um, very, very limited, if probably no resources to put out a titanium fire. I mean, uh, surely, I mean, we can sit down and resolve the issues. I mean, it's a health and safety issue. It's not an anti-jobs issue. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look, you still have a poor man in hospital with severe burns. You know, and these things could have been prevented, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, and it, it seems to have cross-party involvement as well, because Socialist Party TV for Cork North Central McBarry yesterday criticised striker management for its lack of engagement with the union. I spoke with Deputy Barry and on Tuesday on the issue just briefly in the chamber, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's about. I mean, look, nobody wants to lose jobs. It's about protecting workers, protecting workers' rights, protecting overall their health and safety. I mean, people, you know, should feel safe going to work and being able and come home to their families uh, at the end of the, of the day's work. But I mean, at the moment, what seems to be here is stonewalling. Um, I'm not doing this for bonus points or anything like that. It's the fact that, you know, you you've got this in your possession, the information, you've got the pictures, you've got the incidences, you've got the times, and yet. We just seem to be stonewalled at every angle. Uh, is it fair to say that all concerned parties might agree that one incident is unfortunate, two is a pattern, uh, sorry, two, two is a coincidence and three is a pattern? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, as we say, look, we don't, people don't make mistakes, mistakes make you who you are. You sh- you're supposed to learn from them. But as I said, my major concern here is the safety of the workers. And I mean, if we, engagement, regardless... Look, you, you haven't gone back 25 years ago to the Good Friday Agreement where people sat at each side of the table and hated each other. Yeah, one, yes. one thing I'm not clear about, Pat, one thing I'm not clear, I'm just looking back at the records. Uh, the first fire took place on April 18th at Stryker's Angrove plant, as I said. A week later, yeah. a fire broke out of the company's Tulla Green facility. Uh, these are all different facilities, are they? Yeah, 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 using the same product. 
that's the unfortunate thing about it. And with the same health and safety regime? Yeah, and there's been uh, two judgments in the Labour Court for the company to actually engage with the unions. That was going back, I think, as far back as 2018, I think. And it was also... Um, and that came on the back of actually a motion in Cork City Council where members uh, raised issues of uh, health and safety. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think it ever happened before that a, a city or a county council motion would have been, you know, towards a, a company to say, look, there's been major concerns with health and safety. It has to be addressed. So, like, we're 2023 now, so I mean, yeah. surely, you know, you, you can do the right thing. I mean, I'm reading from this morning, ex- uh, Examiner, Pat. Uh, Stryker management have refused requests for a meeting with trade union representatives of the workforce in the wake of the April fires to discuss health and safety. Is it because management won't talk to the union and worker representatives that they're now going to the relevant minister? I'd say that's exactly what it is. I mean, you have to you you, you have to explore all angles. And I mean, unfortunately, when you have to go to a minister first, you know that there's serious issues being raised, but you also know that there's serious concerns. As you said yourself, you no. Know, one is an accident, two could be a coincidence, but after that, no, it's not acceptable. It's a, I mean, it's there a pattern. Another minor, there also has been minor injuries, we said minor events, right? Could have had catastrophic results. And that's what's really worrying there as well. As I said, it's not about job bashing, it's about doing the right thing. And as I said, I, it, I spent 18 months working on protective disclosure law, waiting for Europe to change theirs. And Ironically, once that bill was signed in, it's then I get the tsunami of protected disclosures. Yeah, yeah I, I, I know nothing about production processes, but there's things called standard operating procedures or SOPs. Absolutely. And if, if it can yeah. be focused in that there's a glitch in the SOP and that can be corrected, then I, I would imagine that it would behove everybody, every stakeholder, the unions, the workers and the owners stroke management to... To look yeah, yeah. to look for what's causing these uh, what has caused these three fires are they different reasons uh, do they all need to be addressed individually or is it one particular reason that we need to change our operating procedure? Well, surely, I mean, we know that there's a number of um, HSA uh, investigations going on at the moment. I'm hoping to get the results of those. Surely, they'll go into the public domain. Uh, You've asked the European Ombudsman to investigate. What does what does that, that in, no, involve? The, the European actually, the European Ombudsman is on the uh, on the Cora Centre, believe it or not, the Health Centre in Middleton. That's a separate issue altogether. I have the European. I've actually reported it to the European Courts of Justice on Human Rights. Okay, well now that I've asked, you can el- elaborate yeah. on that, will you? Well, basically, I've obtained minutes of uh, a recent meeting from the HSE Cork and Kerry. And they are now, the management are now kind of, kind of, apparently admitting that they actually breached the residents' human rights when trying to close that one across centre in Middleton. So I had already contacted uh, Emily O'Reilly, the European Ombudsman, on the issue, but I think it was kind of misconstrued that it was the HSA was on to. So fortunately enough, I had a meeting with her, maybe I think it's two or three weeks ago, in the petitions committee and I, I raised it again and I asked her to revisit on the basis of uh, human rights. So that's gone to back to the European Ombudsman and as I said, I've also forwarded on to the European Courts of Justice on human rights issues. And to be honest, Nick, I'm like a child now waiting for the birthday card to come in the post. I know it's coming but I don't know how much is in it. But I mean, it's a serious thing here because there is a pattern. I sit on a petitions committee and we have HICWA reports from similar premises like the Onokura Centre 
everything is perfect. Staff, you know, the way things, everything is run and it's down to the premises. We have the same as St. Bridget's in Tipperary, St. Bridget's in Port Leash. There's another place in Clifton, in Galway. And I raised it with the HSC, or the HSC, and I, I asked them, I said, I actually told them, I said, ye as the proprietors are responsible for the upkeep of any premises, and ye have not done that. And the failings of that is that you're moving residents from places that are more compliant into other areas that are actually less compliant. So my, you're taking them from a hotel and putting them into a tent. The big bugbear here also is the fact that we had 20 long-term respite beds and two short-term respite beds in the Unicor Centre in Middleton. There was a waiting list of 26 for the two short-term beds before COVID, so the demand was there. And it's also the fact that now they were trying to replace a good three-bed unit in East Cork. Now, I think it's 30 beds per 200,000 is what you need. So they're actually, everything is going against their own policy. But it's also the associated services that go with that. You've lost your blood test clinic. You've lost your shoropathy services. You've lost your dental services. You've lost the mental health services. Everything that goes with it is gone. And I'm, I'm just so bewildered and angry, you know, that this is happening in 2023. That was probably the only person because I'm very familiar with it. It's so... It would should be the pilot project for, you know, social integrated model of care. I mean, for those uh, residents that live there can walk down access to Main Street, they can get on the bus to Cork City, they can get on the train to Cork City. The dentist is across the road, the guard barracks is to their left, the community hospital is to the right, the GP is to the right, the market is behind them, and everything's in walking distance, and yet they're sending up to the likes of Sarsfields Court and into St. Fembers, totally and utterly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of fixing needs to happen in this country. Do you think, uh, Pat Buckley or Sinn Féin, that Sinn Féin, Labour and the Independents are providing effective opposition and vocal opposition at the moment? Well, I, you know what, I do, and, I do my, and, and to be honest with you, I've, I've seen change maybe, and even little things. I remember when I got elected first in 2016, if you were dealing with the HSE, uh, specifically when I was the mental health spokesperson, when you wrote to the HSE, you had a, you get a response. Now, it may not be the response that you're looking for. I always give the example, if you ask about a blue buyer, surely blue buyer should be in the answer. Sometimes that doesn't come back. But the one thing was there'd never be a name in the bottom of the letter. So you couldn't go back and see who was responsible for that reply, who's accountable for that reply. That has changed. Um, look, we've held the government to account on issues with the rising cost of energy, like, I mean, now they're talking about price capping the energy. I mean, we were on about that nearly a year and a half ago. Uh, it is, it is, it, it's, it's a tough job. It's an enjoyable job. But, I mean, we're so far behind at the moment. I mean, from the lack of investment in housing, in health, in dentistry. I sit in the autism committee. Autism services are on rock bottom. Don't come near the assessment, the needs. Um, we're having huge problems again with passports. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, Mick. Yeah, I, I know some people who work in Leinster House, not in the political spotlight, if you like, or not in the not non-elected uh, civil servants, one or two um, th- that I know there. Uh, and they've been relaying to me that uh, suddenly politicians from right across the spectrum are feeling the weight of responsibility of ex- actually what they're trying to do here. Uh, there is enormous pressure, apparently, on the coalition. There are so many battles to fight on so many fronts, so many sensibilities, uh, so many tensions in the community uh, that it's a very difficult time to be in politics. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. But I mean, you don't you don't get into politics to be popular. You get into politics to change things. 
and I, I've said it many, many times, like we have a generation now, again, unfortunately, that are immigrating, you know? And as I just said to you, we, we've crisis in health and whatever. Everybody's been trained up is going. I, I speak to these people on a daily basis. I speak to people on committees, you know? And I'm saying, we should have the best, one of the best countries in the world. We have the best people. Our nature is so good, right? We have the best education system. We have the best talent here. We should not be exporting it. We should be investing it. And that's a problem here. And I think our biggest problem, I remember going back when I was in the county council, uh, meeting uh, members of IBEC and companies that wanted to invest here in Cork. And you know what the biggest problem was? They couldn't get accommodation for the staff. Yeah, so that's, we're, we're hearing that across the board. Uh, I'm, yes, I'm way over I mean, time, Pat. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to leave you there, but thank you, thank you for bringing those uh, topics to light. Will you keep in touch with the programme regarding any uh, developments in the striker uh, I will absolutely situation? Will. Okay. No bother. Thanks, Thanks a million. Thank you. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now to a barrister at law to get uh, legal opinion on some of the stuff that's going on at the moment. Good morning, Willie Bullman. Morning, um, Mick. How are you doing? I'm good. Now, um, we want to talk about the proliferation, if you like, of what happened in Navin, but of course it being an on- ongoing investigation, we, we cannot go into any specifics, as I'm sure you're aware. There's an, yes. old, there's an old saying, Willie, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth gets a chance to put its boots on. And that's uh, maybe not a lie here, but some incidents such as this, and there are many on social media every day get absolutely blasted virally to all corners of the of the planet and see you know like five six million views before the guards even get a chance to engage and investigate but but i mean if you even think even just even taking back to a more serious one was it was what happened in january 6th in, in america you know we had an attempt to overthrow a government and you know the big tech companies sat back in their hands and let it happen um, and this is hand, this is going on on a daily basis. You know, big tech are doing whatever they like, and there is nobody stopping it. And the way it has to stop is that the European Union and the general worldwide uh, G7 people need to step up and say to these tech companies that enough is enough. Um, and and you know, the, the way to do it is that give the power to the the, the police of the country and say. Be, be, have the authority to pick up the phone and ring the tech company and say we want that that video down now and it should come down now it co- shouldn't be that it should be waiting for some phone call and then public public um, get involved and then because it becomes very adverse and then they eventually take it down but then in, in, in the circumstances of Navin like I mean you've had 5 million people view it you've had probably I, I think there's a figure of 100,000 after sharing it I mean which shouldn't have happened I mean you have the issue then of uh, justice is after being um, done online yeah it, what's really, really intriguing to me, or perplexing, I suppose, we were speaking to a UCC professor on the proliferation of AI, or artificial mm. intelligence, during the week, yeah. and the fact that even Tom Hanks is protecting his image and his face from being regenerated after he dies, right? Why cannot mm. this technology say, okay, Joe Bloggs has just posted what we realise is a very violent altercation between adults, teenagers, men, women, whatever. There's violence mm. in this video. Put a hold on it. Get it vetted. Do not leave yep. it out to the world. 
But the, the, see, this is the problem. I mean, you had, you know, when, when uh, Elon Musk took over um, Twitter, I mean, he got rid of all the top people, and now they haven't enough of people to, to police what's going online. So there, there is a failure of, you know, using the, the most modern technology, which is AI. So it, that should, they should be up to date on getting the systems in place that to stop this being regenerated online. Okay, so Big Brother really only monitors these sites if it affects Big Brother. If it affects Joe, Joe and Mary Public, it's, it seems to be viral and allowed yep. to go viral. Yep. And, and, and this, is the, this is the difficulty and how, how to get it taken down is a bigger issue. I mean, like, it took a lot of, you know, you know on media attention to get um, the, what happened and haven't taken down. I mean, look at, look at all the videos that are being shared at the weekends of, you know, behaviours on, on, on streets in both Cork, Dublin, Limerick and everything else on a, on a, on a week, weekend basis and nothing is, is being taken down. But, I mean, this, this incident in Navin, because of the, the vile nature of it, you know, has, has grabbed um, public attention and they eventually took it down. But it wasn't until, you know, five million people viewed it. Yeah, and, you know, as someone who works as a barrister at law, how could five million views affect perhaps the selection of a potential jury who might have to adjudicate in this case? Well, this is the problem. I mean, this is the, the difficulty on, on all of the, in that and how, how do you manage to get a jury who, who are... Uh, impartial. Who, impartial and who, have never, who haven't seen or heard about this case. Okay, so how about the guardie having a red button, if you like, to, as, as, as soon as it goes viral? Okay, red button, this, this, this cannot be, you know, for the interest of us progressing uh, a proper prosecution of this case... We, we, this cannot go viral. Let's uh, let's take it down with our power. Yep, and 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 the, the, but the, like the, the the difficulty is as that you have you know the, the likes of Meta and they have their some of their their issues in in Ireland and some of their their offices in Ireland, but we don't really know where their control centres. You know, you can have, they can say that they have a control centre above in Dublin or whatever, but we don't know where, where, which cloud they're using. I mean, they're supposed to be using a cloud in Europe, and who knows, you know? So this is, this is the, it's a worldwide situation. Look at all what happened in America with Oklahoma and all of these mass shootings in, in schools and in, in Texas where, where, where you had all the issues inside in the, the shopping centre. I mean, which all went viral. Yeah, because we, we live in an age where content is instantly consumable and is instantly yeah. spreadable. But un- until the EU and maybe the world in general start penalising these tech companies, nothing once is going to change. Elon Musk said the other day, I'll say what I want on Twitter. I don't care if I lose money. I've plenty of it. Yeah, exactly. And look, at, I mean, you had the situation with Donald Trump. Look at, uh, you know, he, he was allowed to keep a Twitter account for for, forever and ever, and he was giving the amount of information that he of false information he was allowed, you know, spewed all over the the, the, the net before they eventually took him off it. Okay. Uh, uh, so you have a situation. As big tech will do whatever it's like until some until the the G seven, you know, the big nations say enough is enough. Yeah, and even though the incident we're uh, talking about ostensibly involved mm-hmm. children, the estimated mm-hmm. five million views wouldn't be so large. Only that adults shared it. As well, yeah. So we take but, that. But, but but not even that. Um, like, like like every kid going to school, you know, for, you know, in majority like fourteen and fifteen year olds have have a smartphone. 
Yeah, so and, and from like, and from I, younger and younger ages. Yeah. So, like, why you have why you have kids having smartphones? You're going to have massive sharing because it's going to once it gets into a school or into a classroom. Oh, did you see what what what's there? It, it's 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 like gossip. You know the old saying. Look, yeah. I'm not one to repeat gossip, so I'm only going to say this once. But uh, the carriers of scandal want to be the first to tell their friends that they had the information before them. Willie, we'll leave it there and move on to Ronan Murphy of Smartech. Thank you, Willie. And uh, let's go to Ronan. Hi, Ronan. Hi, Nick. How are you? Good. Founder of Smartech 247. There was a Daily Mail article recently, Ronan, on uh, ingenious ways to get back at telephone scammers. Uh, We've sent you on that article. So um, now the Navin attack on teens has been shared by over 5 million people uh, or seen by 5 million people. Majority of those, as I said, are probably adults. Nothing we can really do to stop that. But how can we protect our children uh, from receiving these videos and maybe even getting them removed? Yeah, look, it's it's a very, very complex and difficult topic, right? I mean, it, it obviously it's important to address illegal activities and to protect individuals from from harm, but there's a very slippery slope when you look about when you when you talk about monitoring uh, the internet or monitoring, let's say, free speech, for example. Even people like Donald Trump, um, as the barrister just spoke about there. Um, I mean, freedom of expression and, and the, the, the democratic nature of, of the West, uh, Western world, um, you have to consider, you know, who is going to be the moderator, who can and what you can share, when you can share it, what you can say, what you can say. Um, and I mean, there, there's lots of countries in the world where what you can say or what you can share or what you can do is very closely monitored and it's very closely controlled. Um, and people's liberties um, very quickly evaporate depending on who's in control of of, of, of that decision-making capability. So um, uh, while it's not good, uh, while it's very problematic, um, uh, while, while there's lots of issues, um, I think it's important that people also consider what the other side of the coin looks like when it comes to uh, free speech and ability to uh, to share information or to have freedom of ex- expression. Um, so it's a very, it's a very, very. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just it's not definitely not perfect, but it is definitely a very uh, complex area. And I'm not sure how much um, I personally would like. Uh, any uh, uh, any of my communication to be monitored or to be tracked or to have somebody uh, determine whoever they are and um, whether I should be allowed to say it or whether I should be allowed to share it. And um, so I think that that's a part of the argument that does need to be considered. Okay, you've got children yourself, Ronan. What what are their ages and what would be um, you, you know you guys as parents' sensibilities around access to? to information access to the internet because you're the expert in this area. How do you feel about it personally? I hate it. I think social media is a cesspit. It's, I think the mental health implications of uh, the addiction both for children and adults and all of these social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, I think it's absolutely horrendously bad for humanity. Um, And I think the mental health implications for children growing up um, it must put them under desperate pressure. Um, uh, it's a real, real problem. Um, I mean, and it's it's a very difficult one for any parents to deal with, but I, probably far more difficult for the children in this age because if they don't have access to those different platforms, then they're excluded uh, amongst their friends and so forth. So it's, it's a huge, huge problem. I Honestly, I don't have the answers. 
I mean, you know, you do your best, you don't give them access to TikTok or whatever it might be, but um, it, it, it feels like not giving kids access to these platforms, it's like trying to hold the, the, the tide out with your hand. It's, it's a real, real problem. I think probably the only sensible uh, approach is limiting screen time um, and ensuring that you've got access to check what they're looking at and what they've got um, 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 who they're making friends with and so forth but yeah I, I definitely don't have the answers but I, I know there are systems for maybe 10, 11, 12 year olds where mum and dad can give the phone but the only people who can call the child are mum, dad, uncle, aunt, babysitter or whatever it's a very limited and then the, the parental controls on what can be surfed can only be the most innocuous of games etc uh, so, so the person has a phone. They might have a, a kitty Revolut. The only person who can send the money is mum or dad, kind of thing. Um, should yeah, people be looking into this a bit more? Um, yeah, look, it, it, it's difficult, right? I understand what your your point is, right? You can search specific things, or you can limit who can call them. But once you're inside in a social network, um, the gloves are off in terms of who can contact you, or what you can look at, or what you can open, or what can stream. It's very limited in terms of what you can actually control. You you can lock down browsing and you can lock down what type of apps you can download. But once you're connected to the internet, you are transcending borders. You know, it's 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 you you can access pretty much anything. You know, people can access sure. you on social media. So Le- leading question then, Ronan, shouldn't there be a smart tech app for that? Just get the smart tech app and everyone is safe. Yeah. Get, take, take, you know, get, get rid of Can you imagine the market for it? Yeah, but it's not that simple, honestly. It's, it's, you know, again, the barristers were saying a minute ago, this is not, you know, someone said to me, can we put a regulator in place and this regulator can control content? You can't because, I mean, the internet transcends borders. It's, an, it's, it's almost impossible to enforce standards um, when you consider, you know, every jurisdiction has different regulations um, on what people can do or what people can say or what people deem to be acceptable. So what one co- a country might consider to be offensive and prohibited, another country might consider to be balanced and, you know, um, and so forth. So there's huge cultural diversity. It, it, it is very challenging. And I think what you're saying, right, there's, there's, there's 50 different conversations to be had at a, at, a, at a more granular level. And that is, I mean, social media is one huge problem for children and for parents and so forth. Uh, the risks of scamming and other... Well, I wanted to talk to you in detail on scamming and I've run out of time now, but maybe that's a conversation for another day. It's, it's a completely different topic. But I, I think people's need to protect their children has to come first. Uh, it's a pity we're out of time, Ronan, but lo- lovely talking to you again. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again sooner. You'll talk to Neil on the scamming thing. Cheers, bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Interestingly uh, interestingly enough, if you're a George Ezra fan, have a listen to Shotgun and go in about 51 seconds. He leaves an enormous burp. And I'm not sure if he ever meant for it to be spotted, but uh, just after the chorus going into the second verse, listen out for that enormous burp. I kid you not. Now then, it is, of course, Friday, and it's Free Food Friday on the Neil Prenderville Show with the Roosters Piri Piri and Douglas and Blackpool. Winners will get a selection of starters. You know the drill. It's going to be extensive. Chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, chicken wraps, chicken pittas, 
beef burgers, all meats basted in that famous medium peri-peri sauce and also thrown in for good measure, peri-salted fries, rice, waffle fries, portions of peri-mayo, garlic peri-mayo, cheesecake selection you can build yourself with toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots, lots more. You can get it all, all the details on roostersperiperi.com and they are of course situated in Douglas and Blackpool. Text or WhatsApp 86 and uh, tell us who you are where you work and why you want us to pick you. And between now and 12 midday, daddy-daughter wedding songs. We've had lots of suggestions from our Facebook item last night. But News at 10 is next. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. And that's the sport with Simply Suits. Thanks a million, Rory. I don't believe you, he said. I don't believe you said many days. Oh, you're winding us up in your last day. On the Brandeville show. I don't believe there's that anyone would put a burp into a song. Kevin. Sorry, man. Get the headphones on there. You yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. It's all good. It's all good. Whew. <laughs> panic there. Don't worry about it. You don't believe me that uh, George Jasser would put a burp into a song he, on purpose. I, I was just, I was so sidelined by what you said. I I, tur- I actually turned He's to Seamus. losing it or what? I, I, was, I turned to Seamus and I was like, did he say that there's a burp in Shotgun? I've heard that song thousands of times and I've, I've never heard it. And then, so what did you do? So obviously, I did the first thing that any normal sane person would do. I YouTubed George Ezra's shotgun, and I went to fifty-one seconds. And this is what you hear. There's fourteen <laughs> seconds here now. So the burp is in the middle, just between the end of the chorus and the second verse. Have a listen. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the horse. I'm feeling like someone. Wait for it. I don't know if it's a burp or if it's a, like a croak or what Sound is it? effect or a burp. We, I had great fun on the old request show here when, when we identified that and people were saying, playing it and, and and make the burp louder, but it does really does sound like a I burp. wonder, is he just really hung over? While we're on the subject of music and uh, special music, uh, this went out on Facebook last night. A little uh, note came in to me. Uh, hi, Mick, I'm looking for some advice from your listeners, especially any fathers of brides. My daughter's getting married this summer. It's my first time undertaking father of the bride duties. I'm prepared for walking my daughter down the aisle, but now I've found out that my duties include picking a song to be played for a father of the bride dance. So this is a daddy-daughter dance. Does anyone have any advice for what song we could dance to? I knew immediately which song. I'm going to play out the program on it at the end, actually. Um, but um, my, uh, some suggestions. Isn't she lovely? My girl, uh, Luther Vandross, dance with my father. Um, my father's passed on, so when I got married, my mom walked me up the aisle. They're the mother-daughter. I wonder why moms and dads don't walk their daughters up the aisle together. Yeah, I suppose the the thing is that the, the two mothers are usually together, aren't they? And it's kind of used to symbolise that, you know, the kind of two families coming together, but then the, the daughter... Some, some girls don't have their dad walking them up the aisle anymore. Yeah, and some girls are... Because it's seen as a, a male giving his proprietary interest in a female over to another male to look after the Which female. Which is fair enough. Look, I, I suppose, like, and there's lots of things are changing. People aren't, um, people aren't giving their surnames up anymore. They're, 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 sticking their own, they're sticking to their own surnames, which is absolutely... I mean, this is the great thing about weddings nowadays, that people can kind of pick and choose what they want to do. I think the more choice, they, they, the better, really, yeah. for me, the way people can. So, anyway, yeah. before we get no very partisan. busy, as we always do, I'm going to play out the programme this morning. In the absence of a live uh, musician, I'm going to play this song that I... Things has the best sentiment. Now, I will admit, maybe not if you're dancing with your daughter, but certainly if you could play piano and guitar to sing this to your daughter and her new husband would be perfect. But I guarantee you, this song will have people crying. Look forward to it. Gonna be a good one. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM.
And just before we go to our phone line, some text generated by this morning's programme. Floating hotels for everyone, but not one homeless Irish per- person will ever be housed there, says a texter. Please wish Dunmanway Town Soccer the best of luck in the Beamish Cup final on Sunday, being played at Turner's Cross. On the Late Late Show, will uh, Ryan Troberty ask Micheál Martin about Katrina Toomey having to feed 10-year-olds on the Late Late Tonight? And the online issue, am I the only one who's uncomfortable with the idea that the government can decide what I can and cannot see online? Online, Be careful what you wish for. And uh, on the Navin attack, uh, reference social media, no one would know anything about what happened to that child, only for all the shares on social media. I hope that child makes a good recovery and that the people involved will end up before the courts. Back to our phone lines and Darren Sweeney on line one. Darren is the head of corporate and stakeholder comms and uh, we're going to be going uh, forward now on travel-related issues. Good morning, Darren. Good morning. Now it's time, that time of the year again, when people, if they haven't already booked, are looking to foreign shores and hotter temperatures and less rain and that kind of thing. Um, But there is some advice uh, when it comes to bringing the accoutrements, if you like, of uh, the stuff we bring everywhere. I know there are certain restrictions now on bringing batteries and chargers and charging banks on planes, as well as there are on electronic cigarettes, etc. Uh, but what's, uh, what's prevalent these days in your advice? Yeah, well, we're currently working across Europe with um, our counterparts to look at travel adapters. So these are something that I would be familiar with, that the little plugs that you would plug your hairdryer or your charger into and then plug it into the wall into the socket in whatever country you go to. So most people have them, you know, usually one in the back of a drawer or a, a purchase at the airport. Um, and we have been working with our European counterparts to look at what's, what ones are for sale at the moment. And we've identified safety concerns about those, the, the ones that are on offer and for sale. And we have caused for um, travel adapters to be recalled and withdrawn that were unsafe. Um, because of safety concerns, um, in up to including electric, electrocution, um, which is, is quite concerning. But separately, because of the nature of the product, we're, we're I suppose, advising consumers to be careful in how they use them when they're abroad. Okay, so travel adapters have uh, undergone some product recalls as well as the ever-present safety tips, of course. Uh, the most important thing to find out is, uh, is your destination country, as is here, a 220 to 240 volt system or you could be setting all sorts of uh, dangerous overheating episodes upon yourself. Yeah, I think it's a concern that most people think that if the plug fits into the socket in the destination country, that it's safe. And that's not necessarily the case because the voltage may be stronger in the country. So having a look at the plug of, for example, your hairdryer and see what the voltage says, it'll give you good indication. There are other things that you can look at for as well too, is to look, it should say which countries the travel plug is suitable for to be used in. And actually with, even within Europe, there are different ones, um, which I didn't realise until I started doing this project, that there's different ones depending on which countries so checking to make sure if you're going to Spain for example and you have a travel adapter at home check to make sure it's suitable for Spain and then as well to the voltage yeah because you can buy these world adapters that have inbuilt transformers for instance if you're holidaying in the United States of America it's 110 volts it's not 220 like we have here then again if you go to Dubai not only do you have the three pin plug we have here you have the correct voltage as well yes yeah and the concern here is that it's very serious, so it's either, it could be electric shock, which would be huge, or overheating as well soon, particularly if the voltage is stronger in the, the country, that then it can definitely overheat and you have a high risk of that. Okay. Uh, what about package holidays and people's rights as a consumer? People are, a lot of people booking on, you know, booking their Ryanairs, their Aer Lingus, etc., uh, foregoing the uh, transfer from the airport to uh, to the uh, holiday destination. That was a huge thing before. We wouldn't land in an airport 
unless there was a bus there to meet us, gaggle of us, and, we, and we'd always go to the, the welcome free cocktail, which was non-alcoholic the following day, as, as they blatantly sold you tours. Uh, but a lot of people still book package holidays through travel agents, etc. What are people's rights? Yeah, so I suppose it's something that people may not be aware. If you book a package holiday, so that's your flight and your accommodation or other arrangements, you have stronger consumer rights. Um, so this is particularly important when things go wrong and, and it became very prevalent in the last couple of years with all of the changes and turmoil we all went through, particularly with the travel. Um, consumers noticed that there was a difference when they had a package holiday because of these rights. So firstly, it just means that if something goes wrong, you're not in a foreign country on your own trying to figure it out. The person who booked your holiday, the travel operator, is responsible for making sure that they address any problems, whether that's you show up at the hotel and the hotel is not remotely what you thought it was going to be, or if you're delayed and you missed your your connecting flight, the travel agent is, is responsible for making sure that they help you resolve your issues. Before you even book, the travel operator must give you particular information for example, the full cost, what the terms and conditions, and all of those important things. So there are extra rights. Now, I mean, if a consumer, because often you could get a good deal on a hotel and decide, you know what, I, I'm going to book the flights myself. If, if you are booking your, your holiday yourself, the important part is to look, and nothing has been highlighted this more than the last couple of years, at the cancellation. Can you cancel? What happens if you cancel? Will you have, still have to pay? Or what's the time frame in which you have to cancel? So if you're doing it yourself, the most important thing to look for is those terms and conditions. Okay, so other things to be aware of, of course, are accommodation scams. Mm. Uh, and and I, I'm in a, a fairly large group where rental and uh, uh, in Tenerife, where rental and uh, short-term and long-term lets are always up there. And probably once a week, the group is, is alerted by picture and by name or pseudonym, the f- false name. Uh, do not deal with this person. Um, they're operating a scam. So are they still rife accommodation scams that would take your money and there's no accommodation at the end? Absolutely. I think wherever there's demand for anything, there's always the opportunity to, for someone to exploit it. And I think what makes it really harder is when you're booking accommodation in a foreign country. So basically what this looks like is a scammer copies photos and information from a genuine listing. So, you know, you kind of, it'll be hard to identify it um, as being not real. And then when someone gets in contact, they'll, they'll organise for you to pay a deposit. Um, you could search to find the information about the, the accommodation. Um, and it could all seem legitimate. So the most important thing here is, is to do your research, have a look around and use official websites. And if you're going through an official website, and you're put in contact with somebody that's providing, for example, an apartment, and they're saying you need to pay in a different format, not through the website. We would say contact the website and make sure everything is legitimate. So try to use as official channels as you possibly can. Okay, so you're, you're really in the competition area, Consumer Protection Commission area. Uh, it's an amazing number of travel adapters that have been recalled. 7,262 of them. Yes. 6,245 of them have been withdrawn from shelves. Are, are there cowboys putting these together and selling them cheap to the supermarkets and airports or what? Um, well, we, we looked across, I mean, we examined 10 and this is across Europe. Um, so a lot of the, the concerns we identified were to do with manufacturing. So they were, and the risks were from various, so from information missing, for example, as I said, it's very important that the countries that they're appropriate for is on the box and the labelling. So we've, we saw issues with that where information was incomplete or absent, but up to electric, electrocution, um, I can't seem to say that word, electrocution risk, <laughs> um, 
I saw too, which is quite concerning. And I don't know if you saw the little video that we had online about how easy this was. So you, you would, you would, when you look at a plug, you see a little shutter. And the shutter is to protect you so you don't get access to live electricity. So the shutter should not work, or the, the plug should not work unless contact is made by all of the pins in the plug. So if there's three pins, there should be three pins inserted and only then should the plug work. If there's two pins, there should only be two pins. Um, but what we found and what that video shows that is that you can make access or contact with one and it actually would work, which would mean you were exposed to live electricity. And if you go further with, I have a one-year-old at home that loves putting things into plugs and fingers and all that, and the risk is very, very high. So yes, we're very concerned in terms of what we've seen. We're working across Europe. The good news is when we've engaged and what we've identified, when we've gone back to manufacturers, all of the corrective actions that have needed to be done have been done. So I suppose to explain the difference between a recall is when they're taken from your home, that where the instruction is consumers must remove them. And our website have in, has information about the ones that that is the case, that may be in homes. Then the withdrawal means they're, they're, not, they're never sold, so they're taken back. So all of the corrective actions are happening, but this work is still ongoing. And we are continuing to work with our European counterparts to make sure that, it, that the plugs that are put on, on the market are safe, but there are steps consumers need to take. So no matter, even if they're safe and they're compliant, consumers need to be aware that there are still risks and they're attached to how you use these travel adapters. Because in, in, in Europe or across Europe, there are three different types. There's yes. the three pin we're used to here, there's the two pin round and the two pin flat, which is more, you know, it's, it's in some, some countries, but is essentially an American product. Um, I think the biggest thing to watch out for is anything that steps up or down voltage needs yeah. to be hefty. There's a yeah. transformer in that. It's a you know setup of two coils or whatever. Yeah. The, tra- the transformer, uh, they need to be a hefty item if they're changing voltage or they will overheat. Absolutely, and the risk is so high. Um, I mean, no one wants to be exposed to that. The other tip that I suppose that um, I'm probably guilty of when I was younger of doing was I, I would have a single travel adapter um, and, and not want to buy another one and would plug in. So I would take an, an extension lead from home, plug the, the extension lead into the travel adapter and plug it into, the, into the, the wall of the hotel and use that. And it is exceptionally dangerous to do that. The plug is not designed for multiple pl- um appliances being attached to it for heavy currents yeah 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 and it's one i suppose that people may not be aware of along with using heavy duty or always on um appliances you should use your plug for short amounts of time and then plug it back out again rather than leaving for example a charger plugged in and something charging all day and all night um it is quite dangerous too yeah i knew somebody who plugged into the shaver um adapter inside in the bathroom and, and led uh, a four-gang socket out, out to run computers and, uh, yeah. uh, and and that kind of thing. And uh, what's that smell? Suddenly, yeah, the, exactly suddenly the, the bathroom is full of black smoke. <laughs> it is something you don't want to discover by accident. And I suppose that's the important part is, you know, we are doing our bit in making sure what you buy is safe and working with manufacturers to make sure of that, but also there's steps that everybody needs to take and to be aware of as well too. So are people safer buying them in airports on the way or at their destination of choice? Um, I do, if, it, it doesn't, I suppose the key thing to look at is the information. So have a look. Is there a CE mark? Is there information that, that is an address in the EU? Because that means it complies with EU product safety standards, which are very, very good. 
So I think no matter where you buy it, it's to look for those that necessarily um, here and there. there. Now, obviously, if you buy a, um, a plug in a country, it's set up in terms of that voltage that you spoke about. It is going to be, you know, aligned with that. But we would very strongly say buying any EU um, product in terms of, of the, the labelling and packaging will ensure that you have strong um, guarantee, I suppose, in terms of the standards of the plug. Okay. Uh, so CE marking is is probably very important. Uh, some some very good advice people are booking right now if anyone's going on holidays. Enjoy yourself. I'm sure you're very safety conscious now yourself, are you? I, now, that I, now that I know this, it's amazing. And when you start looking at something, you realise, what, what, as I said, I would have been guilty of that extension need in, when I was younger rather than going out and buying several of them. So definitely, without a doubt, um, a lot more conscious of it now. Okay. Darren Sweeney, Head of Corporate and Stakeholder Comms, thank you very much for uh, keeping us up to date on travel-related issues. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, getting back to the wedding songs and some uh, very interesting texts coming in. They already have the song picked anyway, the one that would be my favourite. But pick a song, we're told, that's special to you both for daddy and daughter. Uh, My dad and I had By the Way by the Red Hot Chili Peppers because it was a song that meant something to us. And we just had fun jumping around to it. Nothing formal, traditional about it, as that's not who we are. A couple of uh, suggestions for Father and Daughter by Paul Simon. That's an exceptionally good song. If, um, I think, directed at a newly arrived baby daughter, I think, I'm going to watch you shine, I'm going to watch you grow, uh, that kind of thing. But, yeah, if that's what uh, floats your boat. I danced with my dad to dance with my father again. Uh, I'll never forget that moment between us. Um, once again, that song is... Uh, uh, lamenting the passing of a father, really, but uh, if it's uh, something that likes you. Jimmy Buckley's song, Your Wedding Day. Not familiar with that one. We had butterfly kisses, Mick. When I was five, my dad was in a waiting room and the song was played. He got all emotional listening to, uh, to the words of it and thinking of my wedding day. Fast forward 23 years and I asked him about eight weeks before the wedding if he, if he had any suggestions for the father-daughter dance song. He told me that story and it was a done deal. Uh, my dance with my dad was Butterfly Kisses as well. When you listen to the words, it's a deep, meaningful song. Uh, when I got married uh, nearly five years ago, my dad and I danced to My Girl, the Temptation song, great song. Uh, I danced with my dad to Dance With Me Daughter, Daughter of Mine, and it's a beautiful memory. Uh, Half the Man by Jennifer Hart is an incredible father and daughter dance song. Uh, Butterfly Kisses again. Daddy by uh, Abby Anderson, such a beautiful song. Uh, I got married only last Friday. And our dance was My Girl. There's about a half a dozen people, by the way, have chosen the song that I instantly chose uh, for its meaning. So I'm not calling that one out, but I'll play it at the end of the programme. Uh, but well done to uh, all of you who are of like minds uh, and thinking it's a really special song. Uh, from working in a hotel doing countless weddings, Dance With My Father or The Way You Look Tonight were always winners. You know what's another very good one? You'll Be In My Heart, uh, the Phil Collins song. Uh, Butterfly Kisses again. I Had This Dance by Scott Thomas Lowridge, a beautiful song. Daddy by Abby Anderson gets another vote. My Little Girl, good one. Uh, That's by Tim McGraw. I adore my dad. We didn't do a father-daughter dance, but each to their own. He walked me up the aisle and was very happy to do so. Um, Stand By Me, Sweet Child of Mine, My Girl, The Way You Look Tonight, Sarah from Thin Lizzy, Celine Dion, Because You Love Me, Ethan Hodges' version of Slipping Through My Fingers, it'd bring the house down. Cinderella by Stephen Curtis Chapman, check out those lyrics. Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter by Iron Maiden. Uh, I got married last year and we didn't do that. Father and Daughter again by Paul Simon. Pick whatever song you share with your daughter. Tammy Wynette, D-I-V-O-R-C-E. Tongue in cheek there. You Are the Sunshine of My Life by Stevie Wonder. 
Michael Bolton's Fathers and Daughters. Daddy's Girl by T.R. Dallas. One Call Away uh, by Charlie Puth. Here's a good one. Uh, Take Good Care of My Baby. Very good one. Uh, Ellie Goulding, How Long Will I Love You? That's the uh, Waterboys song. I prefer the Waterboys version, actually. Uh, Adele, Easy On Me. Uh, our most popular requested father-daughter song uh, through the whole family is uh, When You Were Sweet 16. And um, this is another laugh. Highway to Hell by ACDC. Another beautiful song. Uh, back uh, in a moment with some more Free Food Friday mentions. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Now, before we go back to our Free Food Friday mentions with the Roosters uh, Piri Piri, let's stay on the uh, wedding song theme on Daddy Daughter. Eileen is online too. Hi, Eileen. Morning, Nick. Uh, Jim, Jimmy Buckley, uh, is it on your wedding day? Oh, what a beautiful song. Well, I, I really don't, do I don't know it. Will you sing it for me? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I can't sing it all, but I'll sing some of it, but I'll, it just says that um, it's hard to imagine a baby so tiny and small is now a young lady of beauty, so pretty and tall. And then it says, I know you look lovely in your wedding dress and bouquet as you walk down the aisle with your husband on your wedding day. We played it three years ago for my daughter and it was in dry eye in the church. Oh, that's nice. Oh, played in the church, was it? Yeah, yeah, you know, as you're going up the aisle, it was just so beautiful. And then there's another beautiful song there that Danny Lowe sang, Danny O'Donnell sings, Take Good Care of Her. That's another beautiful song as well. That's a nice song, yeah. Take yeah, good yeah, yeah. care of her. That's right, I suppose I ought to say congratulations. I would think that's a beautiful song as well. It's either or are. I know there's a, lo- know. a lot of them out there, but I mean... You're, a, you're a better singer than me, one. Eileen. Oh, well, I try. <laughs> uh, I've got a voice like a goose farting in the fog. Yeah, ask that man there if he wants to sing or I'm, I'm open. Okay, <laughs> thanks, <available>. thanks a million. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're trying to do a service here for a listener who is uh, looking for a daddy-daughter dance song. Margaret. Margo. Margo, is it? Margo. Is it Daniel's sister? I'm, listen, you did a great job. I want to say that first. Yeah, I could listen to you forever. Is that You're just as good as Neil. Ah, sure, look. Fantastic. I'm happy so, to be doing it five or six weeks a year. It's enough for me. Uh, well, you're fantastic. Thank you very Thank much, you. Margo. What song have you chosen? No, I always thought um, <laughs> if I could sing, I would have sang it. My daughter's ready. Take good care of my baby. Kind of a warning. Did you ever remember that? I do. It was originally by Bobby V, wasn't it? Yeah. Seamus was asking me there who, but take good care of, of my, my baby. baby. And if you should discover that you don't really love her, just send my baby back, back home, home to me. To me. Yeah, oh it's, a, it's, it's a lovely sentiment, but the song I've chosen, but a half a dozen people agree with me. I think it'll have you in tears at about four minutes to 12 because it has the sentiment, I, I know, think. I'm going to miss it. I'm sorry, I've an appointment at 12. You'll get it back in the podcast. Be late for the appointment. Um, yeah, a, I might be. I could <laughs> be, yeah. Thanks a million, Margo. Thanks. Appreciate I, it. Okay, let's I, go. Let's, let's go to someone who's at the cold face of wedding songs, uh, because he's a member of the Buchels wedding band. Uh, good morning, Owen. How are you doing? Very good. Your most requested father-daughter song is what? Our most requested one would be "Sweet Sixteen, The Furies. When you were sweet um, sixteen. 
Yeah, definitely. And as Eileen said there as well, that Jimmy Buckley song, Your Wedding Day, would be very, very popular. Now, I will say, you know, I suppose the father daughter dance is probably... Is it a, a new, new thing? Phenomenon. Is it it's a new thing, yeah? It, it, it really is. I mean, look, we probably... We probably two or three for the rest of the year for Irish couples. Two couples, yeah. I've had the, the American couples might have three dances. They have a father-daughter dance, a mother-son dance, and first dance. But nine times out of ten for an Irish wedding, mm. you're not you're having the first dance, getting everybody out on the floor um, straight away, you know, because if you've too many dances and things like that, it disrupts the crack, really. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, disrupts yeah. It's hard to get people out into the floor. Then they go off again. Then they're coming back on again. And it ruins the floor. The next, do you yeah. know what I mean? But... Uh. Like, yeah, I, I've, I've done a lot of weddings and, and this sort of stuff can. Uh, that was 20 years ago, of course. There, there are some uh, weddings, many weddings now, that, that are taking place in a civil rather than a religious setting. And whereas I know there's restrictions in some churches about what music you can play, uh, certainly no restrictions exist in the, in the civil uh, ceremony setting. Uh, one brilliant one is uh, Secret Garden, The Promise. But the best one, if, in, if you, guys, if you want to cry again now, uh, go on to Spotify and uh, this is a little known song by a little known artist and it's had many covers but there's nothing like uh, the Donna Taggart song This I Promise You Beautiful song Beautiful yeah. song we've actually played that a number of times in the church so. yeah. and it's um, a and, and religious song to be fair I have to say on this are very relaxed about the songs nowadays for a church ceremony as long as they're not part of the mass itself. T- terrible it's line on, and I'd love to speak to you a bit further. Can you move slightly or come, go to just take a couple Is of yards? Is that any better, Mick? Yeah, that's better now. Yeah, I was just saying, Mick, I suppose with the ceremony side of things, a lot of the priests have become a lot more relaxed regarding the song choices. Um, like, as long as it's not part of the actual mass itself, like, yeah, as, the, as, as long as the mass is sacrosanct for the priest, I suppose you're okay. Yes, I mean, before, as the Oh, you're, we're losing you again badly, Owen. It's a pity. Sorry, Mick. I think we'll have to move on. Um, th- thanks, Owen. I wanted to chat to you a bit more, but uh, we will move on. Thanks a million. Sorry about that. I think people will understand why I have to leave Owen go there. A couple of Free Food Friday mentions. Free Food Friday, please. We'd love the Roosters Piri Piri, Pat McDonald Paints, New Store on the Commons Road. Uh, hi, Mick. Would you please consider the staff at Lara National School in Bandon? For the Free Food Friday. Thank you, says Katie. Hi, Red FM. Please give a shout out to all the lads in GRP Roofing Supplies Ireland. They're in Unit 19, Tremor Commercial Park, Tremor Road. We'd love lunch at the Complete Upholstery Centre, Foam Services, and Upholstery Supplies on Barrack Street. Good morning to all the team at Red FM and happy Friday. Piri Piri Chicken is a real treat and would be sweet for all the guys and girls working hard at ECI JCB in Carrick Tool. Uh, they're regular contributors. Uh, thanks and have a great weekend, guys. Free Food Friday, all the hardworking staff staff at Union Hall Smoked Fish. Uh, we'd love lunch here, please. Denise and all the hardworking childcare staff at Little Hands Childcare on Redemption Road, Blackpool. From Keta Products, last week's winners, I believe. We'd like to thank you, Red FM and Roosters Piri Piri, for the Free Food Friday last week. It was fantastic and hit the spot. We don't expect to be included this week, but we wanted to give credit where credit was due, and thank you very much. That's from Keta or Keta Products, last week's winners, uh, wishing to thank us at Red FM and Roosters Piri Piri. 
for a fabulous Free Food Friday last week. Well done, guys. Free Food Friday for Bardsley Developments in Cove and also on-site EcoWall, ICF and uh, Rob Foster Groundworks, all working hard and could do with a Friday treat. Free Food Friday for Cork City National Ambulance Service, Drina National School, Sonia Pardy working in Harvey Normal Little Island, Karen and all her colleagues at the pharmacy department in the South Infirmary. Uh, Victoria Hospital would love to share some chicken. Uh, good morning from Edmund, Aoife, Claire and all the transport and warehouse staff at National Seaways at the port in Tivoli looking after all your shipping, transports uh, and custom clearance needs. Little mini adverts these, aren't they? Uh, from uh, Free Food Friday for John Long at work in Vincent's charity shop, Carrigaline. We'd love to be picked today, make only five working here but we've lovely neighbours that we'd be happy to share with. Four more. Supply IT in Little Island would love Free Food Friday. Our warehouse manager's partner is gone in to have their baby today and would love this as we're all struggling in work without him. Paul Bowen here from Merview Laboratories, Watergrass Hill. We love your show and would love some food here, please. Uh, hi, Mix. The Bronx here again uh, with Hepburn Professional. We're working in DPL, Waterfront Little Island, and we're starved with the hunger. And the final one for now. Hi, Mick, please send roosters to Sylvia O'Sheen, and staff at Clonic Hilty Plumbing and Bathrooms working hard every day. Great service. I don't work there, but they are great people, says Sean. Isn't that nice that somebody's recommending somebody else for the Free Food Friday? Text or WhatsApp. You can still do it saying who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you on 0868104106. We feed 15 people. Beef burgers, chicken pittas, chicken wraps, uh, starters like chicken wings, chicken skewers, and beef skewers, piri salted fries, rice and waffle flies, fries. They'll also throw in portions of piri mayo, and garlic puree mayo is a special treat. You can even build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots, lots more. RoostersPuriPuri.com and you'll find them on the ground in Douglas and Blackpool. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Now, an interesting email came our way following my interview with uh, Jerome from Cove uh, about his brother being uh, on board the uh, May 17th uh, crash of the Erlingus Vickers Viscount uh, into Tusker Rock. And that came from Catherine Power, who's a retired Cork County archaeologist, an author, and a physical anthropologist. Sounds very detailed, Catherine. It is, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Okay. Um, a lot more people do that sort of profession nowadays. But when I started in the 80s, before that even, we, we were teaching ourselves and anybody else who would help us. You know, there were no. We invented the courses, if you like. And um, it was a very interesting career, to be quite honest. Okay. Um, uh, some interesting facts in the email that you sent in to us. Was I incorrect to say it was the only Erlingus loss of life? No, it wasn't. That's there correct. Were two others. Yeah. There okay. Were two others. There was one with 20 something people. It was going from Dublin, London to Dublin. It crashed in around Snowdonia. And they said it was called, so it's a sort of a, a, a wave or something to do with the weather. And um, there were Three, three pilots or staff and there were 20 people and they were that was never investigated or it was but there was nothing came out of its causes and the same thing happened in Ash, near Ashburn in County Meath in 1967 which was just before the year before the um, Tusker Rock incident and in the Ashburn plane which was um there were two, three people, one captain and two trainee pilots, and they were. He was teaching them how to dip, you know, from a certain level height to another, a lower level, and he, they crashed as well, and three of them were killed. Okay, so that that yeah. that was the that was the stalling incident, if, if I yes, remember correctly. Was, yes. I wasn't Correct, aware that yeah. they were flying on under the uh, the Erlingus livery. 
Well, I presume they were. I'm just going from what I know, you know. No, they're EI registered. They're EI registered, so I would imagine so. I was yeah, labouring under, yeah. under the illusion that Tusker was the only Aer Lingus uh, disaster. The more stark no. um, fact, which is it's just beggar's belief, that came from, from, from your email, uh, yeah. whereas whatever about the Aer Lingus crash or crashes uh, and loss mm. of life in, in, on an Aer Lingus plane, there was 450 Vickers Vicon planes produced and 150 right, yeah. of them crashed crashed or there were incidents to do with crashing with them, 150. Yeah, it was the, the sort of deep plane after World War Two, and it was a plane for the people's carrying, you know, and um, if there were many of them bought from Aer Lingus and the ones that Aer Lingus bought, in fact, actually that they used, they were second hand and um, I can't remember what country now they bought them from, but um, yeah, it was, um, they were they were stopped then a short, short time after the Aer Lingus crash of the, the same Salem. The 1968 crash. Yeah, I'm not sure how long now, but it's well known. That is well known. You'd you'd get lots of articles and papers, newspapers, articles, journals on the whole issue, on that whole issue itself. Yeah, you know. I I remember doing a program on it many many years ago, doing the Neil Prendival show, and it was meant to be an item for maybe 20 minutes. And in studio that day, uh, publicising one of his plays was Brendan O'Carroll, and I was gobsmacked at how au fait he was with all of the intricacies of the Tusker crash. Names, yeah. procedures. Uh, the, the the entire show ran for three hours. Now, with, you know, in the full that was maybe twenty twenty five years ago. Um, yeah. In the fullness of time and the passing of time, it's fifty five years since the crash. Do, 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 yeah, do you think, calling. you know, even though there are family members still alive and looking for answers, do you think enough has been done to investigate that crash? Not a bit, zero compared to what they could have done. There is no investigation as such of looking for the bodies. Um, whether they're scattered, where they are, what location they're in. Nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with, like, as I am a physical anthropologist, I've dealt with human remains all my life, and there has been no study apart from the, the forensic investigation by the pathologist um, for the RAF. And the, 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 there was a man from our team assisted him at the time. And they, they but we, I, we don't, I don't, I've never seen, and I don't know if anybody has ever seen the reports. They probably will be more easy to be accessible now, seeing as the, the database was, was revealed the other day, you know, that the um, coroner's services have and all of that. But I think there should be a review of any human remains that were found because things have got better since 1968 technology. But also, I think maybe when a pathologist, a forensic pathologist is asked to deal with a body, they're looking for signs of what happened to the body. Whereas with skeletal remains, it's a different situation. You know, you're looking... You're looking at different, different. They're two different. They're, they're the same profession, if you like, but they're looking for different things. And I think there should be a review of whatever was found, and also there should be a review of the witnesses that they had, the forty-eight witnesses. And I think there should be a review of many aspects of it. Really, the DNA. There was a, um, a corpse found fourteen days after the crash, and it, it, they had the DNA. But at that time, and when I think it was the seventh in the nineties, I think that was in the nineties, we knew about DNA. And I actually was helping um, one of the people, the, the victims family, I was helping them start the DNA process and show them what, that it was good in 1997 and I think that should be reviewed as well yeah, Some uh, seemingly person, sinister yeah. um, developments or lack of them really um, you know one, one, there was an investigation promised by the then leader of, Fina, of the Fianna Fáil government but everything yeah, went right. hush hush, now the same yeah. week as the plane crashed the Doyle met and never once mm-hmm. mentioned the crash, which would no, give you the impression maybe they're hiding something 
Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? I mean, if you don't tell somebody the truth, they're going to make up things. And in the absence of, tr- of truth, rumours abound. Yes, they do, yeah. And not, not just now, but in the future, when we're writing this in history or adding to it, there'll be propaganda and there'll be the truth and no one will know. They'll write their own story version. I think it's about time we got the truth. I mean, what are we going to do if we don't? What are, Those people aren't going to pay back anybody. They're not looking for revenge. They just want their families found. They want to know where exactly they are. They want to know what happened to them. And again, there are lots of reasons and excuses given. But it was, if you remember, it was the Eastern Bloc and the Cold War at the time, the late 60s. Different situation than you have nowadays. I mean, my, my um, daughter is in her 20s and her friends and herself wouldn't know as much about the Cold War as we did. I was eight at the time that the plane crashed. And I remember I had lost my mother there a few weeks beforehand. And all I could think of that time was the, the other children that had lost their parents on that flight. And I just felt I was lucky that I had a father, at least, and they had nothing. There were some families that were two to two, the mother and father, were killed in that crash. I mean, and lots of people had children. Oh, you know, the whole gamut of the family, 61 people, 14 found, including the man from, that's buried in Crosstown, who should be examined again. I mean, who was he? Was he in a, in a, in a plane, a small plane? Did he... Um, did he bump into the other plane saying Felham and did they just slip past one another was it something else you know you can examine the soil you can examine all sorts of parts of remains nowadays of forensic science I could go on and on and make you know I'm really annoyed with the whole situation it really annoys me I hate the secrecy especially at such an important event you know. Okay, let, let, let's look at maybe your personal opinion on what certainly 25 years ago when I was covering this topic uh, mm-hmm. came up with, and that would be an errant missile from an RAF yes. base in Wales that brought the plane yes. down, potentially. Yeah, that's correct. Would you give any credence to that as a possibility? It could be, yeah, it could be, or it could be another, t- there's a rumour too that it was a French um, type of uh, missile and that it was being checked out by the by our own um, Air Force at the time, and that was denied. Um, the, the, the witnesses, the 48 witnesses, some of them can indicate that something like a drone or a small plane that was red and white was seen in the area, and all of them had come up with the same information. And um, what else was I going to say? Yeah, it could be. And also, they said that one of the drones was not available for, for it was not in use in 1968, but for testing, it was. You know, it was being tested for years and you're not going to buy something like a, a, a missile or a drone if you don't know what it does. So, I mean, they're selling things like you'd buy, a, well, they sell things in the Air Forces like we would buy an ice cream, you know, what, what kind or whatever. You test it out before you buy it. Same thing. And I mean, there's an awful lot of information. If you look up any of the Air Forces, the Irish Army Air Force, the Irish Air any of those sites, you see all of the history. It's amazing what they do and what, what they use, what machinery, what everything mm-hmm. that they use. It's nothing that we don't deal with on a day-to-day basis at all. It's a different world. Yeah, there was a guy called know. Mike Reynolds who was an aviator and author of a, a book called Tragedy of Tusker Rock. And That's he disputed right. claims and, support, and supports the findings of the 2002 French-Australian investigation. This kind of ruled out an impact with another aircraft or a missile. But the figures, well, if yeah. one third of these produced planes crashed or were involved in, uh, in you know, near fatal or fatal incidents yes. or, or were downed, you know, with, with, with the preservation of life, perhaps, uh, you know, that managed to successfully land, that, that is a huge figure. 150 
out of 450 yeah. planes had incidents. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it could have been caused by a multiple of reasons, like the plane that crashed in the Atlantic with the the doctor, the Irish doctors. That was a series of faults, and the pilots were blamed. It wasn't their fault. They hadn't been given proper instructions. So the same with any other plane crash, and including the St. Philip. Maybe there were other things wrong with the plane, that some of the documents went missing. So, you know, um, so that, there's that as well. But it could be a series of things that went wrong, and that had nothing to do with the final crash. You know, coincidence and so on. So the only way we know is if there was an, an oral hearing, to be quite honest. Yep. That's what we need. I, I believe yeah, the last plane of this type flew right up until 2009. Well, it could have. No, I don't know that. I don't know that. I do know that the number of the, the number of the plane was used or might be still used. It's usually disbanded and not used when something happens to the plane or when it's not in use. But this one is actually used today for another flight. Okay, uh, I, I yeah. noticed. There's uh, a lot to know. I, I noticed that you were retired. How, how has yeah. your has your career been rewarding? It seems a bit macabre to me, but um. no, it's not. It's not macabre at all. Everyone is interested in that, but people are afraid of it. You know, I suppose when I was eight, my mother died, and I just was used to thinking of death. I didn't have a mother because of it, but it never it never got to me. The reason I retired was because I, I have an illness and I can't work. But I do, I write, I have some prizes for writing. I do, um, I help people with, with all sorts of investigations in my own sphere, you know, because there's nobody else to help them. And I do it voluntarily. And um, yeah, I'm doing some sort of, sort of stories at the moment. I have lots of things published and I have a um, short story book and I've lots of things done and I've lots of things to do. Um, so um, there you go. And I like helping people. That's what I really like to do. I yeah, but you, you must be wondering, how, how can you help anyone in this situation? The, the political will okay. doesn't seem to be there to open up any sort of no, investigation. It's not, but we can keep going. We are doing things in the background, I must say. All right, now, it's, it's, it surprises me uh, that the, uh, the number, that flight, EI-172, is still yeah. being regularly used by Aer Lingus. I'm looking at a Dublin to London flight, uh, albeit right. over a month ago, uh, EI-172. Yeah. Uh, is yeah, on it. So that yeah. number is still being used. Does that show a lack of respect yeah. to the dead? It does. It does. And I don't know why. I don't know if Aer Lingus has ever been asked about it. Maybe they come on and tell you why. You know, it is odd. Or maybe, it, I mean, it can't be anything else other than odd. It's not, I don't, I can't explain it at all. It is right disgraceful. It's a lot of things with, with, with regards to that right are disgraceful, really. And still there are people alive looking for closure on the death of, are, a, yeah. of a brother they or are, sister, yeah. maybe, maybe a mother, a father, whatever. Yeah, they are sure. Jerome was on the, yeah, the other day and his brother has been missing as well, you know. And um, I mean, there are rumours as well about where the bodies were and the fact that the, the RAF were in the area for 60 days and they had given the wrong information to some of the Irish trawlers and people that were looking for the, for the Eringus plane. They sent them off somewhere else. And they were actually in that area for, about six, I think it was about 60 days, you know, and there was a lot of goings on. And like the, the, the they dredged some of the plane out of the water at the time. And um, the, um, they just left it drop, put out a netting. Now, yeah. that was totally unprofessional and not careless. It was, it was, it seemed like deliberate. And they did that twice with mm. no netting underneath it. So where are those remains? Like they're in bits somewhere. I hate to say that now. Sure. But yeah, Neil, Neil, by the way, was in his Jerome's brother's name. 
and I think he may have closure if if, if I remember correctly. There's another very so, in- interesting uh, art, um, not article. Uh, sorry, they never found his body. I'm getting mixed up with somebody else. No, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. There's another no, very didn't. interesting one. I think it's on Netflix. It's called MH370. Uh, uh, now, there's that's a plane right. that disappeared off the face of the earth, and there's still been no proper. So that's the modern day version of, of, is, of the yeah, Tosca Rock tragedy. It, it's very like it, yeah. It's yeah. Very, I actually was going to get them to come and support us, us, you know, the people that are still um, remembering the plane, mm. you know. Catherine, it's and been it's fascinating a, it's a very, talking to you. Uh, th- yeah. Thank you very much. Must break for news at 11, but I thank you for That's coming okay. on this morning. Thanks, thank you, and the very, very best good. of luck in your retirement. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And just a couple of events to give a mention to, lest we get too busy to do so between now and 12 midday. The Cork Book Fair is taking place on Saturday 27th of May and Sunday the 28th of May at the Marina Market in Cork. It's open from uh, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. with free entry. Uh, There's brand new ex-retail stock in books from as low as a euro a pop. You can check it all out on www.bookworld.ie. But we have been asked to mention that the Cork Book Fair taking place uh, Saturday and Sunday week, 27th and 28th of May, at the Marina Market in Cork. And a gig that you should get along to see, if at all you can, is Mark Daly and the Ravens playing Crane Lane on Saturday the 10th of June. Now, I liken uh, Mark Daly to Rory Gallagher. He's as toured as Rory Gallagher. He's as appreciated as Rory Gallagher was abroad. Uh, and uh, for a certain amount of time, uh, it took a, a while for us here in Cork to catch up. There were some diehards, of course, who knew that Rory was the real deal. And um, a lot of us, too, think that Mark Daly is the real deal. Abroad, he's uh, come compared uh, to uh, being the Irish Dave Grohl or the uh, Irish Steven Tyler uh, and is quite the superstar in Germany and France and Belgium and is certainly uh, in the US of A. If you want to see the American band, uh, the American touring band that are heading off, one last chance to do that. Mark Daly and the Ravens are playing in Crane Lane on the uh, Saturday, the 10th of June. Go and see him before it becomes Stadium Massive. Back to our phone lines and uh, on line two, we have uh, Cancer Prevention Manager, Kevin O'Hagan. Hi, Kevin. Good morning, Mick. How are you? That's a serious, if noble, title. Yes, indeed. Uh, cancer Prevention is my title, indeed. And, and today we're going to talk about skin cancer, which is by far the most preventable of all of the cancers. And I suppose it's really important coming into the summer period to talk about how we can reduce our risk of skin cancer and, and what we're doing at the Irish Cancer Society to encourage people to, to reduce that risk and keep themselves safe and avoiding uh, skin damage and sunburn over the summer period. OK, well, we don't get a lot of powerful sun in this Irish temperate climate. When we do, however, uh, we tend to go out as if we've never seen uh, the golden ball in the sky before. Yeah, well, in fact, we did some research here in Ireland uh, looking at, at the levels of UV rays during that, that period from April to September. And actually, 90% of the days between April and September, the UV level was high enough to damage and burn skin. So I think there is a little bit of a myth that, that the sun doesn't shine enough to damage skin here in Ireland. But in fact, we have one of the highest rates of skin cancer in Europe and, and the figures are set to double over the next 20 years. Um, and, and so we certainly are at our higher risk here in Ireland from, 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 from the damages of the UV rays and, and skin cancer. Okay, is there so, such a thing as a healthy tan? 
No, there's not actually. It's it's the skin's way of of I suppose healing itself. Uh, so it, it clearly there's damage to the skin, and 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 the DNA in the skin is damaged by a tan. Uh, it will recover, but there's some lasting damage there. So no, we would discourage tanning and 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 sun tanning and and sun burning. You know, um, if you're getting repeated sunburn, your risk of skin cancer doubles over 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 a period of time. So it's it's a really it's a, it's a no no from from our perspective. But some of our more sallow-skinned listeners, shall we say, uh, you know, have a propensity for going brown. Uh, And I'm talking about, and I I suppose I'm not being sexist here, particularly women who go on holidays. Uh, And their idea of a great day is to do nothing and lie in the sun. Uh, Whereas for me, I'd rather have a chat on a high stool somewhere, but there you go. Yeah, unfortunately, here in Ireland, about 75% of the population have very fair skin. So we, we tend to burn very, very quickly or, 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 or tan. Uh, and so that's, again, you're damaging the skin. So, um, you know, it, it, it really is it's a high-risk one. And as I said at the start, you know, skin cancer, the numbers are, are, are growing very quickly. It's one of the most preventable, uh, and we want to do all we can to, to avoid people getting sunburned uh, and and getting that you know damage to their skin because it's 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 becoming it's a major issue now for people and um, I think it's we're going to see huge numbers coming down the tracks um, in the coming years and so as I said we, we, it's simple steps following a simple sun smart code protecting the skin can make a huge difference and help reduce that risk. Okay, but the burning question, pardon the pun, mm. is yeah. why why are products that can prevent skin cancer incurring the full twenty three percent standard rate of VAT when you would think they should be uh, 0% and and, and avoiding all VAT charges uh, because they can be seen as an essential health product. Absolutely, and and it's, it's an issue now that the Irish Cancer Society we're really concerned about uh, the cost of, of sun creams. Um, sun creams are actually classified as a cosmetic or kind of a luxury product, and and we're arguing, of course, that they should be classified as as, as a health product. Um, and and because they're classified uh, as a cosmetic, they have this higher rate of tax of twenty three percent VAT. Uh, and and of course, we'd be concerned that that cre- could be creating a cost barrier for people uh, who are obviously trying their best to, to reduce the risk of skin cancer. So it, it is adding a cost um, to a fairly essential product, particularly for people who've had skin cancer before and, and they're really, you know, they, they apply, apply a lot of sun cream uh, for, for, for families who have a number of children. You know, it, it really mounts up and it could become a cost barrier. So because it's classified as a cosmetic or a luxury product, um, it, 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 it carries that 23% VAT rate, uh, which makes it much higher. So we would be uh, from for the upcoming budget now, um, we we are calling on on the government to really look at this one and to reclassify the product uh, as as an essential healthcare good, which means that then it would be exempt from VAT and of course it would make the price much at, at a lower cost, you know, more affordable for people. Uh, so that's that's the real concern we have. Yeah. Okay, so Ireland has one of the highest rates of cancer in the world yeah. after Australia and New Zealand, and skin cancer is the most common cancer here. There's over thirteen thousand. New cases yeah. diagnosed every year. Now, you could argue that the lack of ozone in those territories in the Southern Hemisphere are contributory factors here. Uh, but that notwithstanding, we do need the products to barrier our skin. Absolutely. And, and you know, while, while the, the, all of the, the measures are important, you know, wearing, wearing you know, proper clothing, uh, wearing hats, wearing glasses, you know, uh, seeking shade, especially during the hot part of the day, 
sun cream still is a, is a really important uh, point in that in that those steps and and you know we do know that that many families take it very very seriously and 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 do cover up and 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 buy the sun cream but it is becoming more and more uh, unaffordable for people uh, particularly due to the cost of, of living crisis at the moment and you know we're not saying that it's, it's certainly not a luxury product um, and it's not a cosmetic it, it, this, it, this is a healthcare product uh, that can help avoiding avoid the sunburns uh, which in turn will, will, will certainly increase the risks of skin cancer later on so it's, it's, a, it's an important ask and it's, it's something we can do to reduce our risk of cancer and, and we know the numbers of cancers have increased significantly and are, are continuing to rise but this is a really important step to help people make a healthy choice to reduce their risk and do something very positive for their health so it certainly is a healthcare product and we're urging the government to really have a look at it for, for the budget, uh, the upcoming budget. OK, where do you guys stand on two very popular activities here in Ireland? The use of sunbeds and the use of fake tan. Is one safe, one not so, or is it, are they both safe? Well, first of all, the sunbeds are classed as carcinogenic. The International Agency for, for Cancer Research has classified sunbeds as carcinogenic, and and we would we would we would be very keen to to see the elimination of of sunbeds in time because they are certainly a big risk factor for for skin cancers. And we know that if you know if people are using them regularly, it it, it does increase the risk. Uh, so we would love to see the elimination of sunbeds. Um, fake tans, it's, it's, it's you know there's so many products out there now, um, and and I think it's it's obviously much safer than than lying in the sun and getting getting your your sun damaged, your skin damaged. So it's it's a probably ser- certainly a safer thing, and and we wouldn't we wouldn't have any issue with that really if if, if the product is safe and for your skin. Um, but it's the um, it's the natural tanning in lying in, in the garden for the, getting the the sun tan is, is certainly dangerous. Yeah. Okay, and I know it's popular among the male fraternity here as well, but much more so uh, amongst our ladies that uh, if you're going to a wedding, if you're going to a ball, if you're going to a, mm. a, a college passing out or something, it, it really is on the, li- the list of must-dos. I must go and get my fake tan. Yeah, it is. It, it is, and you know, I mean, it, it's better to see that than 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 the the sunbed use or 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 you know the the the, tra- the getting the sun tanned or, or burned. Um, it is a safer, certainly a safer alternative. Um, and you know, the, this tanning culture is it's something we've been. It's it's been a real challenge for our work over the years because many people just wanted that tan and 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 you know and, and it certainly did damage people's skin uh, certainly over the last number of years. So um, certainly these products may be certainly a safer alternative and and that's that positive. Yeah, uh, a closer examination, close-up photos of uh, Mr. Trump. Uh, you, yeah. you can see the tan ending and the white skin starting in certain areas. Another of him coming off Marine One after a presidential rally while he was president, uh, you know, trying to get re-elected. Uh, you, you can see the fake tan on the inside of the, you know, the always white shirt that he wears. What, why, does, why does someone that somebody would consider, you know, considering his, his, his treatment and comments on Mexicans and Latinos as a white supremacist, want to walk around looking like a tangerine? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Like, uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to comment on on, on that those type of uh, choices. Certainly, um, you know, it's just this notion that that a tan seems to people have this perception that a tan indicates health, or uh, you know, and that that's the, the uh, yeah. I think that's just the the perception out there. Um, 
you know, but uh, it's it's a real uh, challenge for us for for people who are obsessed with getting tans and and certainly taking you know making decisions such as you know burning or tanning their skin uh, because that's clearly going to pr- cause problems as, as they get older and the risk of skin cancer does increase significantly. Okay, so is there a safe way? To, and I know you've got a Sun Smart code that you can tell us mm-hmm. about. Uh, yeah. num- number one, you need to protect your skin, but that's not going to stop people from wanting to get tans. Is there a safe way to protect your skin from getting sunburned, getting sunburned and to tan safely? Is there such a thing? Well, no, I, I wouldn't be saying that you, you can tan safely because, as I said, you know, if you're getting, um, your, your skin will get damaged. A, 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 a tan is damaged skin. Uh, so, you know, the, as I say, the DNA in your skin is going to be damaged by, by tanning it. So you shouldn't uh, deliberately get uh, sun on your skin uh, to get that tan. Um, as I said, repeated sunburns is a big risk factor for skin cancer. Um, so there's no safe tanning method, really, unless you're using the, those products that we talked about. The, um, so, you know, we've, we encourage people to, to, you know, to wear clothing, to cover up, certainly wear long sleeves, collar t shirts, and in, in, in certainly in that hot part of the day between 11 and 3. So, and to seek shade, especially if, if you're outdoors between 11 and 3. Um, slip on a wide brimmed hat, uh, slide on sunglasses to protect your eyes because you, you know, eyes can get really damaged in the sun and you can get, you can get skin cancers around your eyes as well. So that's an important one. Many skin cancers occur on, on the top of the head. So wearing a hat is very important, especially covering the ears as well. And then finally, that last one is about the sunscreen. You know, and and to cover up unexposed areas using factor 50 plus for children and certainly 30 plus for for adults. So a good high factor of sunscreen with a logo UVA and a UVB on it. So good quality sunscreen. Uh, That's really important. Okay, I suppose the business of the ugly end of this is if we're all with our Irish fair skin uh, at risk of of skin cancer here in Ireland, we're even more so at risk if we go abroad. How does skin cancer manifest itself? How does it appear? Yeah, well, it's different for everyone, but, you know, the changes to look out for then is, is, is like, um, changes to your skin, like a, a small lump, a flat red spot, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, an ulcer, uh, a lump or a spot that, that's tender to touch, um, you know, and, and maybe parts, you know, like an ulcer that hasn't healed, uh, scaly or a kind of a rough scaly patches on the skin. Um, but they're, 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 they're often uh, referred to as non-melanoma skin cancers, which are perhaps a little bit less serious and very, very treatable if caught in time. Um, but the other serious one then is, is melanoma skin cancer. And there's about 1,100 cases of these per year. Uh, and the symptoms then is, is, is perhaps from, from a, new, a new mole on the skin, uh, a mole that suddenly gets bigger or you find this is kind of perhaps yeah it could be a new one um it's it's it changes in in size shape or color um if if it looks kind of red or inflamed around the edges um if a mole begins to bleed or ooze or, or kind of crust um a mole that starts to feel different you know in any way maybe it's itchy or painful so it's yeah, really I, I, suppose I, ha- I have to ask are, are these treatable and with proper deference to the sun and, and the dangers of the sun uh, can, can you continue to live in a normal life Absolutely. I mean, like, like the, the, the survival rates now for, for skin cancer is, 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 are excellent. Um, you know, we're seeing that 
you know, the five-year survival for, for non-melanoma skin cancers is, is almost 100%. And, and you know, for, for melanomas, we're seeing significant improvements in, in, in treatments as well. So, yeah, like the outcomes are really good. But the, the key secret here, Mick, is, is uh, early detection. That's so important. And we're encouraging people, you know, really to check your skin on a regular basis. Um, and if you notice any particular change uh, or something that hasn't healed up after two or three weeks, you know, and, and the difficulty is sometimes these, these are the spots that come and go and, and they're not, maybe don't cause any pain. So people tend to ignore them. But get them uh, checked anyway. Get uh, them checked. The, 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 fi- the final question, Kevin O'Hagan, is mm-hmm. w- would you guys be happy if the government kind of met you halfway and said, OK, we'll cut or eliminate the VAT on factor 30 to 50, but we're not doing it on, uh, on below 30? I suppose we're looking for any measure that's going to help people reduce their risk. You know, uh, I suppose we're, we're very happy to, to talk to, to, to the Minister for Health or the Minister of Finance on these issues uh, and see where, where we can, you know, help people to make that healthier choice. And that that there's a simple, you know, uh, step like this shouldn't be a cost barrier to people. You know, to buy some cream. You know, the people have it in their hand. They want to buy it, but they see the cost is too much. They put it back, and so there's no sun cream when when the hot yeah, period. I, I don't have the figures on it, but yeah. it can't be a huge contributor to the exchequer. And this gesture may go a long way. Absolutely, but even at the cost of treatment in the long term, I mean, it's, it's certainly going to be cost effective because we know that that the increased numbers of skin cancers is putting a huge cost on on the health budget. Uh, so, you know, this is a simple measure, and it would make people certainly encourage people to use it more yeah. and to protect their skin. Okay, well, we we salute your your cause, cancer <laughs> prevention manager Kevin O'Hagan. Uh, keep us informed as to, as as to how you progress with the government cutting the twenty three percent standard rate of VAT on sun cream to 0% and maybe encouraging more people uh, to be careful out there in the sun. Thank you very much for taking our call this morning. Cancer Prevention Thank Manager, you very much indeed, Kevin O'Hagan. Thank you. Thank you. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Now, more than 100 years since the death of the big fellow Michael Collins, um, interest in... Uh, this uh, unique Irishman continues to uh, continues to grow, and uh, none more so in any of the personal items uh, that were Collins's, or maybe that he carried. One item in particular uh, is of interest and has been uh, twice now to Ian White Auctioneer. Good morning to you, Ian. Good morning. Good morning, Mick. Now you you've sold this Bible not once but twice. It was Michael Collins' personal Bible. He was carrying it on yes. the day he died. Yes, indeed. It was. Um it, it came to us um, through uh, people who, who were related to a doctor called Dr. James A. Lynch, uh, in, uh, who was in Dunleer, County Louth. And he had a note with us uh, saying that this book was in Michael Collins' pocket when he died. It was left here by his niece when postulating. So he was referring to a convent that he used to attend to. Uh, the nuns there and uh, he got a present of it from them I think whoever the nun was now we, we were a little bit of mystery over the nun it could it might have been his sister but she wouldn't really, she was she was already a, a, a nun um, and um, it could be that um, his, his sister was uh, uh, which one was it Helena who became um, a nun um, she was his much older sister um, and she became Sister Celestine. Uh, but uh, we think there was another, uh, possibly another niece who might be the nun as well. So, anyway, it came, it came to them. It's a, it's a, it's a, a British civil service um, Bible, and it was uh, issued by the um, a Bible Society to all civil servants 
Uh, and he was a British civil yeah, servant. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Between 1907 yeah, to 1910, he was a post yeah, office exactly, savings bank yeah. clerk. Yeah, in indeed, London. indeed, yeah. So he would have got he would have got presented with this Bible, and and right. strangely enough, it's a Protestant version of the Bible. It's the King James Bible. Yeah, yeah but yeah, but King people James feel version, that he yeah. he retained it because it was very nifty and handy to fit in the pocket. Exactly, he was a very pragmatic guy. He, he des- and it fits. It, it, it actually it's bulky enough. I mean, it, it would fit in an inside pocket in a, in a stretch, but it certainly would fit into a an army, uh, you know, not volunteer uniform. Uh, uh, pockets because they're much bigger you know the ones at the front with the button and okay. uh, I guess that's where he kept it um, and uh, he would have seen because there, there wouldn't be too many Bibles uh, you know min- miniature Bibles going around those days yeah, um, and, and it was really the Bible societies were the ones who, who uh, propagated them um, so uh, yeah, that's how he ended. Up, he ended up getting it, and he thought it was very handy. Kept it. <laughs> yeah, light spatterings to the edges of some of the pages. Is that possibly blood? Well, we don't know. And in fact, the the previous owner, when we sold it first a number of years ago, um, the chap who bought it was going to get it, try and get a DNA test done on it. But it, I don't think he ever got round to it. Okay, uh, it would have, would have been interesting to see. Um, he just have to get a DNA sample from one of uh, Michael Collins's family um, so perhaps the new owner will uh, will do that I don't know um, he might um, but uh, it, it's, it, it's hard to say whether um, somebody can do, can actually do that I know that the National uh, Museum have a lock of hair, his hair um, which could, could yield up DNA mm-hmm. uh, and what, sure what was the reserve on this item and what did Sorry? it eventually what was the reserve it, oh, on this well, item what did it make it made twelve and a half thousand euro, twelve thousand five hundred plus VAT and fees comes to fifteen thousand. Is what somebody paid for it. Okay, they're um, they're obviously a personal collect, collector with an interest in the big fella. Yes, yeah. There's a great interest in Michael Collins. He's probably the most popular. Um, he's probably the most popular of um, the uh, the heroes we call you know as we know them from the from the struggle for independence. Um, he'd be well up there, probably followed by Podrick Pierce. Yeah, and, yeah. I, mean, uh, I was going to ask you. There's a general interest, of course, even a hundred years later in the Civil War. Of course, and yeah. people pick their heroes like Collins or Podrick Pierce, even yeah. Charles Stuart Parnell. What sort sure. of items uh, co- come across your desk? Oh, we get all sorts of things. We get like like Parnell. We'd have letters written by him. Also, Dan, uh, Daniel O'Connell. Um, he, he's a, a big favourite too. And again, we've had letters and uh, even poems written by him, uh, which could range from a few hundred to a few thousand, depending on on the size of them and the interest that's in them. Um, we also had uh, items from uh, Podrick Pierce. Uh, things uh, signed by him. Actually, quite a number of checks have turned up that he wrote uh, to, to various people. Somebody came across a, a case of those. Um, and uh, all these things. And actually, again, from the Cork area, of course, um, uh, McSweeney would be a great hero. Yeah, I, like when you look at Titanic artifacts, there's huge interest yeah. 110, yes. or, yeah. 108 years, nine years later yeah. uh, in anything that would have been on the Titanic. But more recent heroes have uh, failed to sell. I'm talking in particular of a more recently passed hero, uh, Rory Gallagher. You had an item yeah. or a, a set yeah. of items there that failed to make the sale. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it, was, a, it was a fascinating archive. 
uh, and it, uh, yeah, I was but, but disappointed with that one. I thought that would really go because, um, you know, he's, he's a fantastic guitarist. He's great, a great following for him. Um, we did sell the sign. I think it was a signed photograph as well, which went separately. But um, yeah, I thought maybe maybe we were asking a bit too much. We were looking for about 15,000 for that. But it did have a, a, an early recording that hadn't been uh, published, so to speak. Yeah, um, I've got a lovely autograph, but it's uh, it's to make from Rory Gallagher, and uh, t- in that sense, it's not worth anything to anybody unless well, you, you have no, the same name as me. You, no, you just sell it to somebody called Mick. Exactly, <laughs> that's what you do. There's a very interesting <laughs> new program just released uh, on Netflix yeah. about golden auctions uh, in the US. Yeah. Now, this guy flies around in a private jet, uh, picking up all sorts of sports memorabilia, in yeah. particular, and they reach enormous. Figures. I mean, they like yeah. seven to ten million certain certain mm-hmm. sports shirts, etc. Are you yeah. finding a, an upsurge in interest in collectibles? Uh, we are. Yeah, G- generally speaking, it, it tends to be the one, the most valuable ones tend to be the historical ones that we've we've talked about. But we're we're seeing an increase in in um, some of the pop and rock a bit, um, but the pop and rock entertainment. Uh, uh, ephemera and, and collectibles tend to go better in America as, as far as I can see. Yeah, and of course sports memorabilia now is coming hugely to the fore in America. Yes, we, 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 we had some, we had a great collection of um, GAA programs um, uh, one of which uh, fetched, uh, what was it 12,000 I think it was um, so uh, and, and, and others were fetching like 50, 100 euro each. I mean, if you get all Ireland finals um, programs uh, from the 50s backwards, um, they can range from 100 euro up to 1,000 euro or more. Okay. Uh, so so where, where can people for, find and, and peruse the, I, I suppose, your varied articles? Can they find them online? They can indeed. You find it at uh, whites.ie. Um, That's where the uh, Y is, it? With a Y, actually, we have it covered. We have it, we have it with an I as well. <laughs> <laughs> so just just to cover it, yeah. Because when we're on radio, people say, "Oh, how do you spell that?" So it's w h y t e s dot i e, um, and you'll find that there's a search there's a search facility. So if you come across something, you 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 type in what it is, you'll probably find results with us that we've sold in the past. Um, and uh, so you put in your favourite hero, whether it's Michael Collins or Rory Gallagher or Tomas McSweeney. Um, you, you, you put it in there and, uh, or sorry, Ter- Terence McSweeney, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to get that wrong in Cork. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, you type in your, whatever you've got and see. And you can, always, you can always email us as well with a photograph and we'll give you a free valuation. Okay. But it's a very interesting area and a lot of uh, investors are, are choosing to pick up these items of provenance. Yes. Uh, yes. And can, can you assure everybody the, uh, the genuine article is on sale? You have done the provenance yes. checks? Yeah, we do the provenance checks and we also issue a certificate of authenticity. Uh, as they, uh, what they know, the collectors, we call it COA, a certificate of authenticity. And that's very important. However, there are some criminals out there who fake uh, fake the article and then fake the certificate as well. And uh, there's been a few people in America put away by the FBI for that. Okay. It's called interstate fraud. And uh, there's been some famous cases. But if you buy from a reputable auction house or a reputable dealer, um, you you should be okay. But what you do is, what I do is, if if someone brings me in something and it has a certificate on it, 
And I said, okay. So then I Googled that particular company that issued it and see if there's any bad news about them. Okay. And if there, if there is, we don't take it. So buyer beware, but uh, you, you should have all the hard work done. Do, do your research. All right. Yeah, do your research. Yeah. And, and it's great with the internet, you can do it very easily. Okay. Ian White of, of White Auctioneers, thank you very much. A very interesting segment. Thank you Thanks, so much. Mate. Cheers, bye bye. Free Food Friday, some final mentions in for lunch on McCurtain Street, Aggie's Last Day. AOC Commercials and Carrie Tool, we'd absolutely love Roosters today. Caroline Casey, Dunn Stores, all the gang here could do it a good feed on a Friday. Uh, that's from Adrian Ryan and Sports Gear Direct. Lunch, please, for your loyal listeners at Joe's Edge Hair Salon. Harry Callahan, that dirty Harry. And Graham Brady at the Riverstown Inn at Landmar would love some free food Friday. The team at Walsh Applications Outdoor Solutions, Quinlan's Motor Factors, Irish Removals in Bishopstown, Crazy Monkey Skate Shop in Douglas, the hardworking porters of the South Infirmary, uh, Count's Admin Office in Easy Living Interiors, the staff in Radiology in the Matter Private, especially my daughter Kira. Hi Red FM, the hard-working staff at Glen Heights Pharmacy uh, would love it as well. Focus Ireland, office on the Grand Parade to win Free Food Friday after a busy week. National unit in the CUMH. Uh, my name is Kate, I work in Carrig Leone in Carrig Aline. We'd love it as well. Free Food Friday for all the hard-working staff in DTOPS in Little Island. One-stop shop for your bathrooms and tiles. And uh, two more working here in the HR department in the Mercy Hospital will absolutely make our day. And the patient admissions department at SIVUH would love a free Food Friday treat. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Uh, good morning to Ian from ATP Fitness Online too. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Uh, very good. You, uh, you sent me an email as a former client of yours in ATP Fitness, and uh, I could do with a bit of fitness, but the email caught my attention because it's uh, 10 things you learned one year into being a dad. And I'd love to give you more time than I have. Uh, but the first one was The Apprentice. You did your four years of apprenticeship as a carpenter, but there's no apprenticeship for, uh, for being a dad. Uh, let, yeah. let me ju- let me just uh, let me just go down through them and then we'll have a quick chat. Uh, sleep as a superpower is number two. Time is of the essence is number three. You fully did not comprehend how much free time you actually had before the baby came along. You realise how clueless you are and it's okay to not have a clue being a dad. Uh, your baby is unique. Uh, someone who trains a lot of parents in the gym. You got so much uh, advice, but not all of it applies because your baby's unique. Your best friend and best enemy is your partner uh, or worst enemy. You can elaborate on that yourself. There will be new normals um, smelling bums, talking about textures of poos, <laughs> pulling out 20 baby wipes at a time uh, you, felt, you felt like an idiot when uh, you think back to some of the advice that you gave out as a new dad and it's okay to not enjoy it, there are some stressful times and finally there was one more it's all worth it. Uh, you've been a vocal parent now and a converted dad, fully, fully um, championing the, uh, the cause of the father. What's it been like for the year Ian? Uh, it's it's been amazing. I suppose to a bit of context, I give out uh, an email every week to over a thousand people, just usually on health, fitness, and weight loss. Uh, whereas every so often it gets a, a bit personal. So Avian just turned one, my daughter, uh, last Friday. So I reflected on the year, and I've always been honest in my emails, and I just continue to do so. And I just wanted to be honest about how challenging I personally found it, especially in those first few months. Uh, but also, you know, just kind of things that I faced that I didn't really think about before I became a dad. And it was just a, a nice uh, reality check and it was nice to reflect on the year. But I think the the biggest thing that got the biggest response from people was me admitting the struggles I found personally in those first three or four months. You know. Okay. And, and being a dad, was it a big change uh, in your work practice? Obviously, there was some uh, enforced absences. 
huge change, yeah, because we actually opened uh, a second gym in Ballincollig uh, along with our gym in Douglas uh, last year as well. So uh, that's busy enough in itself. And then having uh, a baby was a massive, massive change to me. And that was the part that I actually struggled with, was just to comprehend, again, time itself. Uh, as I said, I did feel like I was a really busy person pre-having Avene. And I only kind of realised I actually had lots of free time uh, um, when before Avene came along. And it became a, a big stress initially. Um, but no, Avene is one. I feel like you're always trying to find your feet in some way. But I've definitely... Uh, got to grips with it and I absolutely love now being a dad but you know again those first few months is where I kind of really struggled but having friends who were dads to speak to was a huge huge support for me and being able to recognise how I was feeling was actually okay and normal and I think by speaking about that and talking to parents in the gym I think when I normalised how I was feeling and stuff uh, they kind of opened up to me about you know it can come across that you're supposed to just love every bit of it and it's amazing but like the reality is there's days where it is really tough and challenging it is because it's it's hard to love every minute when you're zombied from lack of sleep and yeah. that, that of course as you said is your superpower grab it when you like, can as, as, as a coach uh, you know for 11 years now, I, I always knew the importance of sleep but it was until myself and my wife weren't getting any that I realised just uh, how important it it was and Again, as a coach who gave advice as a young trainer, I kind of look back now and think parents must have been like, so what are you talking about when I'm telling them to get eight to nine hours sleep and they have a new crying baby, you know. It's about trying to adapt and, to be honest, survive for, the, for those first couple of months. Uh, and I'd even talking to parents now who have older kids, they tell me, but the biggest thing I've learned is that everything's just a phase, good and bad. So, you know, when it's, when it's bad and it's tough, just recognise that it will pass. And, and when it's good, it's important to really enjoy it because that phase will also pass. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really nice and steep learning curve of an experience over the yeah, last year. No, knowing as I do, I know you hate doing anything badly. And you, you, you kind of have to champion perfection. And, of course, the first couple of times you're changing a nappy or feeding the baby, uh, holding Avine when she cried, first time you're dressing her, putting her to bed, all those things you're kind of crap at for the first few weeks, aren't you? Absolutely terrible. And that, that's, that's something that, that did bother me. Even my wife talking about George Times trying to put it on for a nap and I'm getting stressed, so I'm sweating, and then Avine is sweating, and <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't work. And, but even, even now, just like, it's second nature. And I think... As a new parent, so a new dad, especially, uh, just being okay with not being good at this, uh, and you know, you will find your feet, but you have to actually, like anything else, you have to practice at it. You have to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, and then you be, you can become good per se at it. Okay, and of course, your family of two has changed forever when the, when an addition comes along, and you're talking yeah. about best friend and best enemy or worst enemy. <laughs> you said best and worst, by the way, in your email. Uh, but you said yeah. there's no test of a relationship like having a child. You're both tired, cranky, and in a high stress state, trying to do your best. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely, myself and my wife have definitely been again, again, honest, even with our friends and stuff. It's it's been a it's a very challenging period, especially at the start, and it is. I said I have a saying on our, on our fridge and it says you still love each other you're just tired and it's a nice <laughs> reminder because uh, like it, it does it does challenge like you know you're both trying to first of all keep this human alive you have feelings you never felt before and you're both just absolutely exhausted and I think so talking things out and again just recognising that the phase thing is really something nice I stand by and I'm living by in this first year is that you know it is a phase and this will pass uh, I think that that's been important and eventually you get to a point where you know, times are good and yeah, getting on really well. Um, and again, from talking to lots of uh, parents in the gym, there'll be phases again where things will go awry, but it's just uh, it's recognising that you're, you're in a partnership and you're in a team and, and walking through it is, is important. 
there, there is a time, of course, as much as you love your daughter, that you don't love being a parent. And that all changes when the child becomes what they call reactive. Yeah, like I think that was that was it for me. And I, that's the part where I felt really guilty, I think, in those first couple of months uh, and almost selfish in that I wasn't, I wasn't getting much back from anything, so I didn't feel that absolute insatiable feeling that we're, I, you know, society thinks you're supposed to feel, and that came with guilt. So, you know, going to going to a counsellor and, and chatting about that, but also really chatting to my friends who are dads, and honestly, their voice was always the same from different dads. It's like, you know, wait till she becomes reactive. And for me, it personally, it became like a switch. Uh, that's when she's smiling, when she's laughing, when she recognises and sees you. Like, that's the part now where I'm like, this is the best feeling ever. But it, it was quite challenging in that period and you know learning to sacrifice so like having my time to do whatever I wanted when I wanted that was the biggest the biggest kind of change for me of going hold on someone else is more important than you here like you know as you have to put your baby first and that that was a challenge for me whereas now it's just part of my life so it, it is just getting through like for me it was getting through those first few months uh, brilliant Ian Listen, yeah. I, I could talk to you at length about this subject and, and I know you're very uh, emotive on it and, and uh, you know, you're very vocal on it. But um, one thing you did say, and we wrap up on this, the good times are a phase, so you must enjoy them. And the bad times are a phase and they will pass. This too will pass. Yeah, that's it. That really, it really is. And I think when you're in it, it's hard to, to see that. You think when they're not sleeping, they're never going to sleep, you know. Uh, but I'm only one year in and I've lost, I've lost more to learn, I know that. But I look forward to learning along the way. Well done, Ian, and best luck to everyone at ATP. I, I um, look forward to your next email on Monday, which is probably get fit, fatty. <laughs> <laughs> I might direct one to you personally Monday. <laughs> Ian, once again, thanks, thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, now, because I don't know when I'll be back here, uh, we are going to do a kind of a barbecue segment. Uh, we're meant to have, we lined this up, we're meant to have fantastic weather over the weekend. And uh, it doesn't look like it's coming, but it looks like we still could do some barbecues. Dan Gearan, good morning to you, Dan. Morning, how are you, Mick? I'm very good. Now, you are the head chef in Cush, and I've been to Cush. It's an amazing culinary experience. But let's look at the barbecue ideas ahead of what's supposed to be an okay weekend. Yeah, so I suppose, obviously, what we do in the restaurant would be on the kind of finer end of stuff, you know, but um, I suppose... There's nothing I'd enjoy more than a day off. Like, you know, and the weather's nice. The barbecue is first thing on the list in the morning, you know? Okay. Yeah, you're you're relatively young for a head chef, 29. You've been working there for the last five years. So how would you reflect your training in Kush, yeah. which is Michelin, Michelin star to me? Uh, how, how would you reflect that and change that onto the barbecue? Um. Well, it's kind of chalk and cheese, really. Like, um, I suppose we try and breed consistency in what we do in the restaurant, you know, and try and be um, progressive and being a little bit better every month that goes by or whatever. But um, when it comes to barbecuing, you just kind of do the simple things right. So I suppose it's keeping it simple at home and pushing on and work, you know. Clean the barbecue first, heat it up second, I guess. Yeah, well, like, I think we've all been, been there where we've had barbecues and we've either got lazy or forgotten next time, you know. So cleaning it is, 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 is the first thing you need to do is raging hot. So either when you finish a barbecue or start the next time, get it nice and hot. A wire or brush, most places sell them, you know, wherever you get Some a barbecue oil, from. Maybe. And... Yeah, you put a little bit of oil on the towel then after you've brushed it and it 
could should come up nice and clean and shiny and stuff. And this helps with non-sticking as well, you know, if you're coming across that issue. Okay, do's, do's and don'ts. What do you cook on a barbecue? What don't you? Um, well, I, to be honest, I think everything goes quite well on the barbecue, you know. Um, like, I suppose a lot of people probably don't do as much fish as we probably should on a barbecue, which is fantastic, like, you know. Um, everything seems to be resolved, revolves around meat-based, but personally, I believe fish is fantastic on the barbecue. And you do that in kind of silver paper, maybe a little bit of wine and some, some veg in there? or. No. No, as I, said, as I said, with the bars being cleaned and stuff regularly and, and oiled and stuff, you can go straight on, like, you know, our skewers are ideal then as well. Not fully touching it, like, you know, you can move them around. Um, a couple of fishes that I traditionally use on barbecue, like, would definitely be mackerel. It would be a cheap option, plenty available uh, all summer. And monkfish would be a different one, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more expensive. But if you're having a family gathering or friends or something, why not, you know? Yeah, I think we might do this again when the sun comes definitely our way. We may not have it over the weekend, but a visit to Cush need, needs to be booked, of course. Uh, but it, I would highly recommend it. And, and thank you, Dan, for, for coming on Good and giving stuff. us some Good of those stuff. hints. Uh, we've had a pretty bad line. It's very clear, but it's very delayed and breaking up and down. Uh, but thank you very much, Dan. That's Dan Gearan, no uh, head, head chef Thank of Cush. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Excitement already. Free Food Friday winners are Glen Heights Pharmacy in Ballyvalan. Hi, guys. Hi, Hilda. <laughs> oh, you're all excited. I know you're going to share as well with Makeup by Lauren, Capella Hair Salon and Daybreak and the Fishing Tackle Shop. They're all going to yes. be fed today by Roosters Piri Piri. Well done, guys. Big shout out from all of you, please. Yeah, or they're delighted to spend our day. <laughs> Seriously. Well done. We'll be with you shortly with all of the great growth from Roosters Piri Piri. Thank you so Brilliant. much. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. And thank you to the Neil Prenival Show production team for making it a very pleasurable two weeks. Uh, for Kevin Galvin as well for sitting in on the one day I couldn't be here. And I promised to play you out with a daddy daughter dance. Uh, and this song is uh, chosen the band or country dance kings simply because they sing it the clearest and the words come out the clearest Neil Prendeville is back on Monday morning it's been a pleasure have a great weekend this is Mick Mulcahy saying here is a song I would choose if my daughter was getting married for a daddy-daughter dance look at the two of you dancing that way for more Red FM podcasts go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts